listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Oh, yes, living the dream once again on a fabulous Sunday. Harbin and Ornberger with you here on Fox Sports Sunday. Okay, we have a lot of things that we can talk about in the absolute today, Rich. Yeah. Uh, There are other things that we can only try to pretend like we know what's going on because no one really does. Speaking of Major League Baseball and the players presenting a proposal to the owners today, which will probably end up in the trash as fast as they (laughs) hand it to them. Uh, But in the meantime, we will carry on as we always do. How are you feeling on this Sunday, Rich? You know what? I'm feeling hopeful, and I'll tell you why. After a uh, a weekend last where we were speculating based off of sourced materials, we're kind of back into that we don't really know what's going on phase. And the more distance I have from this conversation or we all as a general public have from this conversation between the owners and the players in Major League Baseball, the more hopeful I become because I think by nature I'm an optimist and I think a lot of people fall in this lane. You know, and sports overall works out. Like, how often do we have labor stoppages that drag on for lengthy amounts of time? It's rare. And the reason it's rare is because it doesn't benefit anybody. It certainly doesn't benefit the fans, but it doesn't benefit the players or the owners. So I have this optimism on the other side of last weekend, and I'm hoping that it's not – it's not – blindsided by the reality that the owners um, really do want to put the the screws to the players or that the players, uh, since the owners initiated this, their feelings are hurt and there's been so much bad blood built up that they're willing to make this go on for much longer. I'm optimistic it won't, though. Yeah, I I think at times we we take a look at a situation that you seem to be at an impossible impasse, right? There's just no way these two sides are going to come together but ultimately, and we've asked this question, by the way, yesterday, uh, Jeff Schwartz and I had John Paul Morosi on the show. We had him on our show uh, during this past week talking from, you know, the MLB network level. And, you know, he, we, we were talking about, well, what makes sense? Like, give, give us a date uh, on which we'll see Major League Baseball when you feel like, all right, we, we can come to some resolve here, whether there's going to be a breaking in the ranks either amongst the owners or the players. A couple of dates we threw out, obviously. One of them uh, is a circle to date. And I'm, I'm throwing it out here because I know there's a lot of fans of baseball who are going to say, well, when are we going to see baseball, right? Um, and you saw the odds. We were talking about these odds during the week that you can get plus 550 right now if the game start in April. I would take that plus 550, and I'll tell you why. There is a date coming up on April 15th. I'm not talking tax day. I'm talking Jackie Robinson Day. Jackie Robinson Day is very sacred in Major League Baseball, and even more so in 2022 because it is the 75th anniversary. Major League Baseball has been in the works to have a major celebration beyond the norm for this edition of Jackie Robinson Day, and to skip past that... Um, is going to get a lot of heat on Major League Baseball. Because you know, if they get to that date and we don't have Major League Baseball, much is going to be made of it because of the stature of Jackie Robinson in our country. So that would be a PR nightmare. Uh, May 1st uh, seems to be the other date. And by the way, it's only plus 150 that May is the first month that we're going to see Major League Baseball. So I look at those two days and then I say to myself, but these are artificial dates, right? 
I mean, if if you're sort of looking at April 15th or you're looking at May 1st or whatever time you're sort of setting as, all right, well, that's when we're going to start playing, then why aren't we playing now? Why aren't yeah. we going to have opening day March 31st? These are artificial dates either set by the owners or the players that are completely unnecessary because if you can get it resolved then – Right. We've we've talked about this in terms of like the pandemic. Right. Like, you know, two days ago it was OK to do this. But two days later, it's changed. Like what what changed? I mean, like something changed here. Very arbitrary. And the same thing we've had here with Major League Baseball. So I, I'm just hoping both sides realize this is stupidity. What are we talking about here? The owners are not losing money. Maybe they're not making as much money and they term that as losing money. But they're not losing money. No one's losing money here. But you're going to alienate a lot of people. And ultimately, it's the fans that'll have the final say on the future of Major League Baseball. Well, listen, I, I again, being optimistic, uh, there's still reality. And while, yes, Jackie Robinson Day is a sacred day in baseball, the color barrier that he blasted through during his era, he's remembered every year uh, for his significance to this game, his significance to all sports. But during the pandemic, they had no problem moving Jackie Robinson Day so that they could still fully enjoy the warm embrace of the marketing that revolves around that game. You know, it, that, that, that date is symbolic, but they were still able to move the symbolism to a different day during the Major League Baseball season in remembrance of Jackie Robinson. And if there's a, a stoppage for whatever the reasons, a, a global pandemic or labor stoppage, I think that baseball will charge forward and do the very same thing they did in 2020. They'll do in 2022. So there's that. And then the other part of it is these television contracts. Steve, you're aware of this as well as I am. They're, they have wiggle room, let's call it. The, the major league owners have about 22 games wiggle room. They're only on the hook for 140 games with their broadcast network partners, which means that basically the month of April – is they could crumple it up and throw it away and see if that puts enough pressure on the players to get their side to cave. And the players know this and people who are, you know, obviously aware of this uh, are, 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 are going to look at the month of April as maybe a lost month as a result. I don't think they necessarily want to lose that gate revenue. But if they have to, or if they feel they have to, the major league owners will, because April's a slow month every, uh, anyways, everywhere, because you have kids still in school, parents are reluctant to pull kids out for these day games, which most of them are, and I, I, weather can, weather's another factor weather, in April. Of course, especially in the in in many of the places where baseball's yep. played them. So I look, I'm I'm again, I'm hopeful. I'm not necessarily. I'm not necessarily blindly hopeful that we're going to see resolution here in the month of March, maybe in early April, maybe in mid-April, you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe this is going to sound bizarre because like maybe Jackie Robinson is the day is the day where, you know, that that's like a hard deadline that the owners are setting. Like we need to get a deal done before then so that this isn't carrying on at very least so that an, an abbreviated or a rushed spring training is underway when Jackie Robinson day hits, you know, something like that. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the reason why, while I'm optimistic, it is, it is halted by the fact that there are some obstacles in the way. 
Yeah, and, and remember with the pandemic and the shutdown of Major League Baseball as we waited for the start of the 2020 season, how much spring training do you actually need? Do you need six weeks? No. Do you need five weeks? No. You don't You don't even need four weeks. Three, three and a half weeks tops should be able to round everybody in a position, and even less than that, because the bottom line is the back. as, as soon as you get back on the field, you, can, you know how it is. You sort of nurse everybody back, right? We saw that yeah. with just two years ago. We saw that with the start of the uh, the pandemic is that they had to you know try to get to the start of the season there was a long layoff and so you're not going to throw your pitchers out there for seven eights oh that's right nobody does that anymore anyway so I'm not so worried about uh, you know getting the season started in terms of how much spring training time is needed by the way uh, a little bit later on in fact coming up in our next segment I'm going to throw some things out to you because here's the thing you have to understand about Rich Ornberger Rich is a baseball fan okay he's a baseball fan but He's never not necessarily. I'm not talking about the the unrest. There there are changes you've wanted to see in the game of baseball for a long time. And <laughs> yes. by the way, it, it's shared by many in your generation. Now, my generation's much more different because when I was a kid, baseball ruled the world. Uh, you know, I remember the days going back in time where Street and Smith, which was sort of the uh, Bible of football back in the day, they didn't even put out an NFL issue. They would have football, which would be all college football, and then the last 15 pages would be an update on the NFL. That's where the NFL stood in those days. So Major League Baseball ruled the world of sports. Obviously, it's not that way anymore. So when you look at baseball as secondary to football as opposed to me who was raised with you know baseball as as king our perceptions of the history of the game the future of the game are are very different on the other side i want to throw a couple things at you that have been thrown out there it seems in the midst of this you know squabble between the owners and the players that we have bigger fish to fry but things are being thrown out there some subtle changes to the game I want to find out if it's going to make the game better. Get his thoughts coming up next. Steve Harbin, Rich Hornberger. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Hiring, heating up. Indeed's hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all in one place. Sponsor a post and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates on Indeed whose resumes match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. All right, I got some stuff for you here, Rich. Uh, let me let me throw out an idea for you. Imagine if the NFL adopted a new proposal in terms of playoff games. Okay, so you've won your division, right? You've or you oh you've earned that number 1 seed. Yeah. And you get home field advantage. But you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but home field advantage isn't really enough. Like if we saw in the NFL this year, it was a 50-50 proposition. There was no advantage over the course of the entire year in terms of whole field advantage, and that continued to play out in the playoffs. In fact, we saw both number one seeds go down in their first games at home. So let me give you a new proposal. Okay? Sure. Not only do you get home field advantage, but you get a 7 nothing lead before the game even begins. Hmm. <laughs> so in other words... You not only get home field advantage, but we're going to give you a 7 nothing lead before the game begins. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is Max Scherzer has a proposal that he passed along to the owners about the playoffs. 
And he says, if we get into a best of seven series where the team with a better record has home field advantage, forget that. You get a automatic one game to nothing lead in the series before you actually play a game, which would be the equivalent again in a one and done in the NFL playoffs of sporting a team a seven nothing lead before you even take the field. Now, we have runners on extra innings, right? Major League Baseball, the only runner on second base. I don't know how you think that's working. But how would you think about in playoff games where you give even more of an advantage for those that have earned the top spot based on the regular season play? Well, look, I mean, overall, I think when you play series, uh, the better team usually wins. Uh, And I bet you if you went back through the annals of baseball past, that point would be proven. It's certainly true in basketball. And it's obvious why a player of Max Scherzer's caliber would want to have a rule like that in place to me. And it's because is he ever going to be playing for a team that's in the middle of a rebuild again? during the course of his career, which is, you know, closer to an end than a beginning? The answer is no. You know, so this gives him a distinct advantage personally to win another title. And I imagine anybody who is a proponent of this rule isn't doing it necessarily because it's what's best for competition, but it's what's best for a talented roster to continue on through the postseason. In, you know, in short, it's just a way for the rich to get richer. And I don't think it's I don't think it's going to have a positive effect on competitive balance. You know, I hear a lot of like old time baseball viewers and baseball writers and baseball players complain about the fact that, hey, you know, when we get to the postseason to have a, you know, single elimination wild card is ridiculous because you work so hard throughout a season, 162 game season, and then you get to the postseason to have some, you know, 500 whatever or or overachieving wildcard team beat you when you're, you know, steeped in a divisional battle? Yes. Yes. That's what makes the playoffs interesting. You know, having the cream, the best teams with the highest paid talent, you know, having the cream rise to the top and then play each other. I mean, that's great. And you can see beautiful baseball played that way. But there is something magical about a Cinderella story. That's the reason why March Madness is so interesting to people, especially when there's a team that shouldn't be there that's in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or the Final Four or shoot the national title. It, it makes it more interesting. It builds the drama. Can they do it? I think that baseball needs more of that. I, frankly, I feel the same way about the NBA. All right, let's talk about another change. And again, I'm going to throw Max Scherzer out there because he's uh, front and center as far as the players in this negotiating right now. A pitch clock. Now, this is something that's been bantered about for a while now, and it's used in the minor leagues. The way it's used in the minor leagues is this. When the bases are empty, a pitcher has a 15-second pitch count, a clock, okay? 15 seconds when the bases are empty. When there are runners on base... It's 17 seconds. You get two extra seconds if you got a runner on base. So Major League Baseball is uh, the union. They basically Major League Baseball. They've been looking at this whole shot clock because remember, in the last decade, get this, in just 10 years, the average length of a baseball game has gone from two hours and 50 minutes to three hours and 10 minutes. That's 20 extra minutes in just a decade. 
Yeah. So they've been looking at this pitch clock for a while. So what they determined was in the minor leagues, 15 seconds when the bases are empty, 17 seconds where there are runners on base. Major League Baseball has determined that you even need less time when the bases are empty. So instead of 15 seconds, we'll give you 14 seconds. But with runners on base, instead of 17 seconds, we'll give you 19 seconds. All right, so that's what's being proposed. Now, Max Scherzer had this to say. He goes, I know as players that's something that MLB is trying to negotiate. I don't think there's negotiation here. As players, it shouldn't be in the game. Having a pitch clock, if you have ball strike implications, that's messing with the fabric of the game. There's no clock in baseball, and there's no clock in baseball for a reason. All right, let's get your thoughts here, Rich, about a pitch clock Max Scherzer says, we've never had a clock, period, in yep. Major League Baseball yep. in its entirety. It's what sets the game from every other sport. How do you feel about a pitch clock? He's wrong. He's 100% wrong. And and this is, again, this is the old stodginess of baseball that is – I mean, look, it's it, some of it is the owners. There's no question about it. Some of the, the fact that baseball is failing to realize what its viewers and fans want is the ownership's fault. But a lot of it is this chest pounding from players like Max Scherzer. I completely disagree with him. Uh, a shot clock makes the NBA and college basketball more entertaining and a better viewership product. Uh, a, a play clock that's ticking as soon as the ball is down in football makes football a better viewing product in both college and the NFL. Uh, having golfers be penalized uh, for taking uh, too much time to approach their next shot. Uh, this has this has proliferated all of sport, professionally or amateur. It is ridiculous to, to argue that this doesn't make the game more entertaining. I'm aware that baseball is hoisted as this unique unto itself uh, game that you know goes as, as at its own pace and you know and you just got to respect that well I don't I don't because frankly I don't have time to respect it because I have a six-year-old and if I want to take him to a Padres game living in San Diego and it's a 7 10 p.m. first pitch and I want to see more than three innings I'm going to need them to be snappier about it because he's got to hit the sack and get to school on Thursday morning you know and and I don't want to be there until midnight to see the conclusion of nine innings now if you could get me to the seventh inning stretch because these pitchers are only being allowed 14 seconds in that and whatever it is, 16 when there's a runner on base, that is going to hustle things up and it's going to put more of an urgency into a game that desperately needs it. Oh, I couldn't agree more. In fact, you know, we think back, um, people may not remember this if you're from a different generation. There was no shot clock in college basketball until 1985. Now, the NBA implemented the 24-second clock in the mid-50s to increase scoring, which is something all sports fans like to see, more scoring. But in college basketball, there was no shot clock. In fact, we always think back of Jim Valvano and NC State upsetting Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler to win that 1983 championship. That would not have happened had there been a shot clock in place. Because they were able to freeze the ball for up to minutes on time and just run clock. Same thing happened the year before they implemented the shot clock when Villanova shocked Patrick Ewan in Georgetown. Had there been a shot clock, 
that never would have happened. I'm with you. I mean, the idea of moving this game along, and by the way, uh, former Yankees pitcher, probably a future Hall of Famer, CeCe Sabathia, uh, he had a much different view than Max Scherzer. He said, this is a time to make some fundamental changes to the game. Oh, but yeah. the thing is, the players are like baseball purists. They don't want the game changed. Some of these guys still don't want a DH in the National League and all this different S, like no pitch clock. Have you been watching the effing games we've been watching? The games are endless. They're brutal. And they need to be changed. So and, and, and even you though know I'm a traditionalist, as far as the pitch clock is concerned, absolutely. And, Let's bring and, it in. And Steve, you know, what what the the unfortunate reality of what's happening, and we have this verified independently, but still verified by, um, I forget the name of the woman, but she's done some stories or she's been covered in Sports Illustrated a couple of times. She was like a physicist who started getting game played balls uh, somehow, for, whether it be from connections within Major League Baseball or otherwise. And she opens them up and look and observes the core of these baseballs. And what Major League Baseball has taken upon themselves is to change these balls. You know, so there every year there's inconsistencies and it's not just, you know, machine error when they're ma- being manufactured. It is Major League Baseball is so up up against it sometimes with the fact that you have stodgy ownership in certain cases, you have stodgy players in certain cases who can't come to terms with the fact that the game is losing popularity year after year after year because it's a bad viewership sport most of the time. Not all of the time. Sometimes baseball is beautiful, and sometimes it delivers on the promise, and the uniqueness really does help the game. But most of the time, it hinders how viewable this product is. And so this woman, she's she's been taking apart these baseballs and showing and proving that baseball is so desperate to get some fans back into the seats and get some action around their game, that they're making the, the, the balls juicier so they fly out of the park uh, more often, or they're deadening them at certain times so that they have more play in the infield they just don't know what to do because they can't come to an agreement that's going to appease the fans my thought process is do the same thing that the NFL does treat it like spaghetti against a wall sometimes you throw it and every single noodle drops to the floor sometimes you throw it and a couple of those strands stick and they actually make sense when you really look at it and you say oh yeah you know what the pitch clock that does work let's stick with it I just don't understand the reluctance to even try. I mean, as a trial, you could say, hey, look, for one season, we're going to do it. And then we're going to come to an agreement as a, a competition committee. But the fact that they won't even try is infuriating. Well, I, I think, again, in this impasse that we have right now between the owners and players, let's take advantage. Let's do a reset yeah. on Major League Baseball right now and take a look at certain things that once we do get back on the field are going to make the game better. All right, let's find out what's trending right now. And David Gascon has entered the building. Man, I, I got a I gotta point blank ask. Did you guys have Bloody Marys or mimosas this morning? Oh, knock this it off. This is oh, absolutely drunk talk pure. right now. Like, I don't know if you guys are what? shooting up something in the, in the parking lot or smoking something. Uh, you, know, Sam. You, you want your like, What's wrong with you guys? Go, okay, you're big listen, match listen, listen, yeah, 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 No, yeah. let me let me, <laughs> let me respond. Holy moly. First of all, yeah. wow. sure. you guys have a problem oh. with the pace of play. That's what you guys have a problem with. Because when you look at an average Major League Baseball game, 
it is easily comparable in time to the National Football League and the college football. Yeah, but and the NBA. It, you're and right so about you, pace wait, of play. So when you talk Action, about popularity David. of the game of baseball, baseball is a regional sport. It's not as much of a national sport as the National Football League or college football, but part of that has to do with the gambling and fantasy football element, too. When you look at the NBA, the NBA is also regional. Like, you have the international flavor that comes in and that money, but ratings have been dropping year in and year out in the NBA. So you can't say that Major League Baseball is dropping in popularity when it's strong when it David, comes to a regional hang on, whoa, whoa, hang on. Whoa, whoa, David, whoa, whoa, if, whoa. if the NBA disallowed the shot clock for a season. I completely and, agree, but that's a little you bit had, different. You and were, you, had, you had players who were just dribbling in the front court incessantly. I completely agree, but you know what, what the shot saying? clock does is it emphasizes the talent that's on the court, like Steven mentioned, as opposed to having teams wear down a game by having one possession apiece. That's a little bit different. We're not going to compare LeBron James to Bartolo Colon. Those are two guys that play two different sports, but they're both considered athletes, just like in the game of golf. You know, John Daly is not what we could see as like a prototypical athlete, right? But the guy can still shoot it. The guy can still stroke it. The guy still ha- hits bombs. So I, I, these are different sports for different conversations. Oh, now, if that. you want to amend the game of baseball, a pitch clock is one thing. But I, I think that you're you're overdoing it in that element because there's teams in Major League Baseball. John Paul admitted this to us yesterday, Steve, is that if there's a salary cap floor, then they're going to worry about a salary cap ceiling. But there's teams that are not putting an emphasis in winning. If they don't put an emphasis in winning, they're not going to spend. The owners pocket more money, and some of these teams don't flourish. The San Diego Padres are synonymous with this. And then all of a sudden, you change ownership, and what do they want to do? They actually want to compete and yeah. win. Drastically different across major league Let me just jump in for a second here. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, as much as we're talking about time of the games and everything else, to me, there's a much bigger problem with baseball, and that's the analytics. I mean, just the game itself is unwatchable. Well, of course. I, and I, when you have a strikeout walker home run and you eliminate runners on base, I mean, I, I, this to me, just the aesthetics of the game have become less desirable. Oh, For someone course. that's been watching baseball my entire life, it's not, it is hard. I mean, really hard to sit through a nine inning game. But why is that the fans' problem? And why is it well, the Well, it's not a fans' problem because if you don't like what you're watching, you can turn but, the channel. But you know this damn well, Steve, is that when you look at the top 50 programs across the United States year yeah. in and year out, what are they? They're the National Football League and their college football games. Right. But that does tell me the one thing is that all these networks, CBS, NBC, ABC, ESPN, and Fox, they cherish live programming. So why does it matter if a Major League Baseball game or even college baseball is three hours, three well, and a half hours, or four hours? Live programming is king here in the United States. It's well, for as much well, as we like, like I Netflix. I don't know about Rich. I'm not speaking for anyone other than myself. Right. In other words, when I'm saying I would like the game shortened, then that's a personal yeah. desire. So yeah. if, if I told you that we could condense golf and have – and have a clock on golfers. No. Would you be okay well, well, with that? Well, well, they there, do have there, a clock. There is a clock. I'm, I'm saying shorter. Golf, I'm saying no. shorter. Okay, listen. Gol- golf is one of those games. Don't get me wrong. That could use a facelift as well golf? in certain cases. But but baseball is one of those sports that could very easily, in my opinion, 
amp up the action on the field. The reason why NFL is so consumable, even though there's only 11 minutes of actual yeah. action during a three-hour broadcast, is because of how often the action occurs. You know, it, it's every 30 seconds you have something to watch. In baseball, sometimes with these meetings at the mound and a pitcher taking his time because he's looking over his shoulder at first base, we got to, you know, uh, uh, we don't want uh, we don't want a, a runner in scoring position. And you got three throwouts to first before he even throws a pitch. Sometimes there's a break of two and a half, three minutes in the action where yeah. you literally could doze off in the middle of an exciting game. But it, it's a problem. But again, you look at the length of the game, it, it rivals what we get in the National Football League and college football. I mean, But there's action. My point is context is everything. All right, right. All right. If you all give right. me three hours of something, there better be action consistently right. throughout that three Let's hours. Let's get back to the bigger question. Did somebody mention Bloody Mary's? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, suddenly, boy, that sounds really, really good right now. Yeah, wow. Well, you're going to be back in San Diego in a few few yeah, hours, yeah. so you might be able to head down to Old Town. So, mm-hmm. uh, You guys had mentioned the pitch clock and obviously what's going on. 14 seconds with empty bases, 19 seconds with runners on. Um, guys, one game in the NBA right now, Brooklyn, Boston. They're tied up at 28 apiece. On Fox, Michigan, and Ohio State, and a good one. Buckeyes leading by 7, 37 to 30. Houston getting clobbered by Memphis, 60 to 46. You know, 61 46 now is the score. Cougars 26 and 4 this season, but they're in a world of hurt. And then Rutgers is blowing out Penn State, 51 38. There's about eight minutes to play in regulation. All right. Well, we'll have much more. What's wrong Here's with it. you guys? Uh, no, I'm just. We're just again. What's wrong with okay? personal preference? And hey, listen, it's like having alcohol. All some right. days you want liquor. Some mm-hmm. days you want a beer. Some days you want wine. Some mm-hmm. days you want sock. Uh-huh. You don't have to consume it all. Yeah. Okay. Well, some days are different. Or bloody that way. All right, uh, Dave, we'll check in with you a little bit later on. By the way, if cold candidate calls aren't turning into hot hiring leads, then you need Indeed because Indeed's powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all from one place. Find your next great hire visit. Visiting Indeed.com slash credit. By the way, I don't know about you, Rich, this morning. I could use one of those uh, breakfast burritos that we had on uh, Friday. Dude. There's yeah, that. Our post show. Oh. There's a place in San Diego we go to. Uh, I mean, there's next level, right? There's always next level. You know, you always say, wow, that was the best this, that's the best this. And then all of a sudden you're like, oof. I mean, I'm I, I was telling Gascon, because you know he's a big breakfast burrito guy. I'm still having, you know, those, those, like those aftershock moments where yeah. you're just like, man, oh, I need to do that again. Because there are. I have, certain- I have eaten many meals with you over the years. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen, like, you, you <laughs> took that first bite and you're like, wow. Okay. And you, you know devoured what? that thing. Oh, yeah. That was fast work. Normally, you're the one who, like, you I'm know, you're very fast eater. You yeah. unlatch your jaw like a reticulated <laughs> python. And com- I mean, I'm not even sure if there's chewing involved. When when it, when it comes to me, normally I like to savor and mm. enjoy. This was impossible. This yeah. was so delicious. As soon as the last bite was oh, taken, the next was on man, its way. Man. man, yeah. Breakfast burrito would do me some Woo! good right now. More, All right. Um, okay. We have a <laughs> lot to do today. I wanted to mention here, and we're going to be up against the clock, and I. I'll probably have more on this uh, a little bit later on. Uh, we are a week away from Selection Sunday. A week from today, Selection Sunday. Regular season games are wrapping up today. We're going to get into the uh, major conference conference tournaments this week. Uh, but last night at Cameron Indoor, it was the send off for uh, Coach K. And 
You know, I've always said this about Coach K. This is in no way to demean his stature as literally one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. I will always lean to John Wooden. I'm sorry people say it was a different era. Uh, I will still put my money on John Wooden as the greatest college basketball coach of all time. But if there's a Mount Rushmore, obviously, Coach K is on that Mount Rushmore. But yesterday, we were talking about Coach K, uh, Jeff and I, and I mentioned that he, I had a chance to interview him several times because my former partner here on Fox Sports Radio, Pat O'Brien, is a dear, dear friend of Coach K. He could literally call him on the phone, and he's on our show. I mean, this was how insane it was. He's a, he's a prickly character. I mean, he's, he's not an easy guy, Coach K. He's not a warm and fuzzy guy. And that was on full display last night. He was obviously very upset that here it was with all his returning players and Cameron Indoor, people paid tens of thousands of dollars to be there, and they lost the game. They got run off the court at the end by, of all teams, North mm-hmm. Carolina. And when he grabbed that mic before the ceremonies, post-game ceremonies, which were already pre-planned and, and you know, said that was unacceptable, I just thought it was, it was so Coach K and really unnecessary. I felt it very tough on the players that obviously were playing their hearts out. They didn't want to obviously lose the game. They just didn't have enough to beat North Carolina. I just found it was very unnecessary and in some ways took away from what was a uh, a real celebration for a guy that obviously had, had a great coaching career. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look, I mean, if there's one thing I'll say just in general is – Everybody is destined to have a bad moment, right? You know, if you give enough access to a human being, especially when they're emotional, I mean, they're they're going to have a bad moment. I'm not defending Coach K. I'm not defending. Frankly, I'm I'm not. This is sort of just more of a blanket reaction to the way we react to certain moments in general. And I, I'm I'm guilty of this too. You know, I see something that's disagreeable with me, and uh, you know, sometimes I'll even take to social media over it, and then later on, you know, realize I got caught up in the moment. You know, and and it's interesting, right? Because we'll give ourselves the latitude to get caught up in the moment, but we won't for anybody else. You know, we'll give the latitude for our kids or for our friends or for, for our family members, for the people who we know, uh, you know, personally to, to get caught up in the moment, but we won't do it for, you know, a professional uh, who stands in front of a microphone moments after a harrowing loss or a, a career moment, potentially, that didn't go their way. Yeah, and, and look, you know, so again, this isn't a defense necessarily of this particular moment but wouldn't you agree like like isn't that the purpose of having post-game press is is to see someone when they're raw well to yeah but if he if he had come out first of all i would agree if i were his wife and daughters i would have grabbed him like dad no 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 let's let's just do our post game they want to honor you and everything yeah. else but if you are going to do that then put the blame on yourself. If he had gotten on the mic and said, look, I want to apologize. This was unacceptable. It's on me. I should have done a better job of coaching tonight. And, you know, the crowd would have said, oh, you're the best, blah, 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 blah. He didn't do that. Yeah. The way he presented it was this was unacceptable, as in my players let me down. He didn't take any personal responsibility for that loss. He just threw it out there, and all I could think about these 19, 20-year-old kids, they're playing their hearts out. Obviously, they want to win for the coach. They just got beat by a better team on that night. Mm. It was unnecessary, but it was very typical. 
You know, when you when you announce your retirement before a season, well, I'm going to get into this a little bit later on. Yeah, there, there's, yeah. there's a way to go out gracefully. Uh, and unfortunately for Coach K, that was not a good moment for him. All right, on the other side, we also have plenty coming up as far as the NFL Combine is concerned. All coming up next. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it. You listen to it. I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Steve Harbin, Rich Ornberger, Fox Sports Sunday, brought to you by one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. Plan your trip today at visitlasvegas.com. Now, this April 28th through the 30th, Vegas will be hosting the 2022 draft, an event that will be unlike any other with unparalleled energy and excitement that only the greatest arena on earth can deliver. The best part is now through March 13th, we're going to give away a trip for two to be part of the energy and excitement. That's right. You and the lucky person person of your choice can win a trip to Las Vegas during draft weekend April 28th through the 30th sponsored by the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. The prize package includes round trip airfare to Vegas, a hotel stay on the strip, access to Fox Sports Radio's draft broadcast and much more to enter and get rules. Visit FoxSportsRadio.com. That's FoxSportsRadio.com to win a trip to Vegas during draft weekend. Alright, uh, we got a lot of catch up on the, uh, on the uh, what's going on in the NFL with the combine, but I got to ask you this as a former NFL lineman to watch Jordan Davis at six foot six and three eighths, 341 pounds run a four, seven, eight, 40. Your thoughts, Rich? Yeah, it's not fair. You know what I mean? Like, how is that even human? Six, <laughs> six and three eighths is official height, 341 pounds, and he breaks four eight in a forty. How 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 did we get here, right? I mean, these guys. I'm I am so in awe of this generation of athlete. Period. Mm. Mm. You know the level of commitment that that it took for me, and the sacrifice, and the the ability. I mean, I'm not denying that there was definitely some innate ability and measurables that I had going into the whole process of becoming a professional athlete. Um, but but it seemed tremendous. It, it seemed, I mean, I put everything I had into it. And I mean, on the 40, I was a five flat guy, you know, I don't know. I, I was I was middle of the road strength. You know, as a thirty plus reps guy on the bench, nothing that's going to blow your doors off. I, I mean, I was an athlete, but that that's kind of where the conversation started. You, you were talking about a superhuman feat, like what Jordan Davis did at the combine is so. It's so remarkable <laughs> that that it it really. Well, let me ask you this. Let it me defies reality. Steve. All right, so we're up against. But I want to get, I jump in very quickly in this. All right, so this is a guy. You know, it's amazing because he's a first team All American. He was top ten in the Heisman Trophy. Got plenty of fanfare for the national champs. Yep. He wasn't even an every down defensive lineman. No. Um, no. He's he's known as a run stuffer. Uh, at one point, I had him on my short list for the Heisman, but there were no numbers to really translate. But if you're the NFL right now looking at this guy, what did that do for his draft stock? 
Well, it, it, again, the, the combine in his 40-yard dash really isn't going to change the mind of anybody because when you turn on the film, and like you said, even though he doesn't have stats, what he is in context is one of the best defensive linemen we've seen coming out, you know, mm-hmm. to anchor the middle of the defense right. in a very long time. You know, he's a true... Um, black hole in the middle of the defensive line. He could take on two blockers, keep them busy while linebacker makes a play, or he can separate and make his own play, and he factors on just about every play that he's in. Uh, it's it, He's just a remarkable player, and he's a remarkable athlete, and so it just, it just sort of rubber stamps it. It doesn't prove anything that they don't already know, but it just throws a, a, a rubber stamp over the top like, yeah, and then on top of it, he's a freak when it comes to open field running. Yeah, I, I just think that it tells me there's even more to his game at, at the next level. All right, speaking of next level, we continue on covering everything in the world of sports. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. All right, rolling on on this big Sunday, Fox Sports Sunday, Hartman and Orberger here in the Fox Sports Radio studios. Um, It's hard to believe, Rich, that we are one week away from Selection Sunday. I mean, we're going to be sitting here counting down to Selection Sunday next week, conference tournaments, and we're going to have all kinds of basketball going on. Cannot wait. Uh, I think you would agree with me. We've talked plenty about it. Uh, this is a wide-open tournament. I know that Gonzaga's sitting there thinking, you know, they thought last year they were undefeated all the way to the championship game before running out of gas, getting blown out by Baylor, um, that they they believe this is their year. But there's a lot of dynamics late in the season that could change the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament, and that was the postponement Cancel, let's say, you know, canceling some of those games in in late December, early January with the Omicron variant that swept the country and a lot of games were shut down. So they, you know, they've been trying to jam all these games in, making up games late in the season. And we'll see which teams had some, you know, oomph taken out of the game because of that extra workload down the stretch. How many people have some, uh, you know, gas left in the tank? But I, I just can't wait because, you know, this is the first real tournament we've had in three years. Two years ago, of course, it was canceled. And last year, the whole entire tournament was in Indianapolis. Now we're going to get back to the new norm, right? We got regionals all over the country, opening rounds all over the country. So it's getting back to normalcy in terms of the basic format of this year's NCAA basketball tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I think that in general, sports sort of feel like they've taken a turn for more normalcy, you know, just sort of putting a ball on what you said about the past couple of years and the fight for all sports, but college basketball, especially. I mean, you're starting to see like the NFL, for example, has really thrown out all of their COVID protocols. They're going to go back to completely normal this upcoming NFL season. The combine is an example of what that's going to look like sort of returning to form. Yeah, I think if there's a sport that really needs to have a tournament that reminds you of exactly how special mm. this time of the uh, the sports calendar can be, it's college basketball. I mean, there's no other time in sport like it where you find yourself rooting for a team that 
prior to the month of March, you had zero awareness of. You know, and it happens every year. Small school out of Chicago gets on a run, and all of a sudden, you know, we're in love with, you know, this uh, this 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 sister yeah. who's sitting Jean, uh, uh, sitting uh, Sister Jean, wasn't it? S- sister Jean, yeah, yeah, sitting courtside. You know, uh, you have uh, you have a, a team out of who knows where, Rhode Island, getting hot. And all of a sudden, there's backers because people fill out their brackets and some people will go chalk. Some people will get experimental with things and there's real interest. And it's it's one of the only it's one of the only postseason sport tournaments that do it this way. And it works and they need it to be back to what it was uh, prior to the pandemic. And I think we're getting there. By the way, Sister Jean is still doing great. She's 102 years old now, Rich. She was born in 1919. That is, I mean, uh, at, wow. at the time of the uh, the last pandemic we had, the flu she pandemic. Was te- she was 10 years old when the Great Depression hit. That is right. She was born <laughs> August 21st, 1919. She's 102 years old, and she's uh, getting ready for the MVC, the uh, Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. She's all excited about it for Loyola. Loyola, by the way, this year, one of the – oh, they. that's right. They won it. Yeah. So they. that's yeah. right. They won it. And they are now on to the uh, NCAA tournament. What are they, the Ramblers? Do I got that right? The Ramblers, I, absolutely. I, so, I, uh, I, I mean, that was a special tournament. That, But that's the point is yes. they all oh, are, man. or they all were. And then, obviously, the pandemic shut down one March. And then it really changed how things looked in the next, you know, with the Indianapolis tournament. Mm-hmm. I, I just cannot wait oh. to see what this feels like because I think – very much like don't don't you feel like there was a feeling this football season and hopefully this baseball season if we have one where you're you're you can breathe for the first time oh like absolutely you, you can sort of just enjoy it again but of- in football this year because of this uh the omicron we we did have shutdowns yeah. we did have yeah. postponements so yeah we we'd like to have like a full NCAA basketball tournament. Again, watching these conference tournaments, watching these games. Last night, for instance, my school, UCLA, beat USC. First time, by the way, that McCronin is able to beat the Crosstown rival. Doesn't matter about Final Four runs. You better beat your Crosstown rival, whoever oh, yeah. it is. Um, it was packed at Poly Pavilion. And, I mean, it was packed to the brim. And it was great to see. Um, and and there were some there were a few masks. The mask mandate, has, of course, been lifted uh, not only in the state of California but the city of Los Angeles, meaning that uh, in some events you still have to have mask wearing. But you know it was more optional. But just the feel of it, just to have all the fans out there and the place was rocking. Uh, they got a big victory. Iowa Sam wants to uh, jump on in right now. Yeah. So um, a couple of things about loyal Chicago. They're First-year head coach is a, a guy by the name of Drew Valentine. Yes. And his younger brother is Denzel Valentine, who, of course, played at Michigan State and went on to the NBA. Um, and I didn't know this. So Northern Iowa beat uh, Loyola Chicago in the final game of the regular season to win the regular season MVC title. And then, of course, Loyola turns around and knocks out Northern Iowa. And now Northern Iowa is in the NIT. So... There you go. You don't believe that Northern Iowa no, will get an they've already accepted. Bid. No, they've already accepted. Because they only had 19 wins. Well, so they've they, already accepted a, uh, an NIT. Well, the NIT hasn't offered any invitations. Well, but they've, I've read yesterday that they're the second team in the NIT is Northern Iowa. So I don't know if they've. 
Well, the NIT doesn't pick their field until the NCAA. Picks I'll, I'll do their some, field. I'll do some research here. I right, could have sworn I, I saw. So, in other words, if the NCAA does pick them, they're going to turn it down because they've already accepted a bit to the NIT. <laughs> is what uh, you're standing. Uh, let me look into this. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, in other words, they they will accept an NIT bid if they're given one. Is what you're saying? But the NIT obviously can't pick their field until the NCAA field is announced. Yeah, no, you're right. They always come immediately afterwards. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I'll look into this. So, but you're saying Northern Iowa will turn down the NCAA because they've. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just. I just want to clarify my sources here. (laughs) uh, By the way, hiring heating up. Indeed's hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all in one place. Sponsor a post and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates on Indeed, whose resumes match your job description. Visit Indeed.com/slash credit. All right. uh, I want again. We're going to be skipping around on a lot of. uh, We got all kinds of stories all over the map today. I want to throw a name at you right now, Aaron. Rogers. Okay. 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 Now there are reports out there, and this is uh, apparently from uh, substantial sources that Aaron Donald's agent, Aaron Rogers. Uh, excuse me, Aaron. I, I, I'm sorry, Aaron Rogers' uh, agent, with permission from the Packers, is already put in place deals. Potential deals with the Denver Broncos, the Tennessee Titans, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. In fact, to the degree where compensation has already been decided on. Now it's up to the Packers whether or not they're interested in any one of these deals to make a trade for Aaron Rodgers. So we're coming up on the deadline of March 16th. That was the deadline that Aaron Rodgers set for his reveal on his future because that's the first day of NFL free agency. So, do you believe this? Because, again, many reports are out there saying, oh, no, 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 we already got deals in place. We know what Denver's going to offer. We know what Tennessee's going to offer. We know what Pittsburgh's going to offer. Again, all AFC teams. I think there's no way the Packers are going to trade Aaron Rodgers within their own conference, but the AFC makes sense. All three of those teams, by the way, do make sense. Right now, especially the Tennessee Titans. Can you imagine if you take a team that was the one seed and replace Ryan Tannehill with Aaron Rodgers? Yep. Yeah, that suddenly makes them a whole different team. But do you believe this is actually taking place? And if so, if compensation is in place, do you think that any one of those teams will have enough compensation for the Packers to pull the trigger on a trade? Well, let's let's put this all in the place it needs to be. You know, we don't know what Aaron has said to the franchise, mm-hmm. meaning what he's said to the general manager, to the head coach, to, you know, the, the principal owners, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the president of this football team. Um, but maybe the conversation is like, hey, look, I'm I'm dwelling or I'm, I'm living in a world right now where I'm, I'm either going to retire or I'm going to play with a different team. So if you guys want you know, to quietly put out the feelers to see if another team is interested uh, in in my services. Go for it, um, you know, and, and we could discuss when you have deals in place and, and I can pick from that, that group of teams. It could have been that open. We don't know, right? You know, so everything is speculation. Do I believe the speculation? Well, I believe it from this standpoint. Aaron has been dissatisfied in Green Bay Uh, over the past three seasons. I think the Jordan Love drafting was a real wedge issue for him and this front office who was 
new to Green Bay. Aaron had been there forever, and I, I don't think he felt like it was an agreeable way to do business. He felt blindsided by it. Um, he's He's been very public about how he feels about a lot of things. I think overall, you know, considering we had nearly weekly appointments hearing from Aaron Rodgers throughout the season, he seems happier uh, this season than he did last. I think we had more limited um, information from him directly. Uh, so maybe he was just as happy last season. I, You know, or I'm talking about the 2020 season. I don't know. But he seemed happy. You know, they, they were successful. Even in his last interview on the Pat McAfee show, um, where he was tell, you know, telling everybody, hey, listen, I just did this 12-day cleanse. You know, I, I was throwing up and I had diarrhea and I spent 12 days centering my chi and now I'm feeling better about everything and I'm, 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 I just needed to expel some things and start my offseason the right way, but there is going to be no decision. He seemed like he was in a good place, so maybe he wants to play. Maybe he wants to continue his career and maybe it's just not with the Packers and he felt like he he has done all he can do for this team in the time he's been with them. My, so, so yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like he could be traded. But again, I'm out of the business of guessing what's next with Aaron Rodgers. I can't. I, I, I haven't gotten it right over the past couple of seasons. Jaskon, I got some semi-breaking news for both of you guys. Ooh, Matariza. Four seven two forty time. Wow! How about that? San about- Diego State's <laughs> Ray Guy Award winner, punt god Matt Ariza. I didn't know they have punters running forties. Well, you know, he's you an know. athlete. He's not a punter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's trying out for safety for the Detroit Lions. You know, well, sometimes you're the last guy to chase down the uh, punt return. Well, so, no, and Matt Ariza is one of those guys that could get down and dirty. He's not I, he's not afraid to make a tackle out there. We I promise tw- you that. I tweeted out a video from the NFL. Uh, from the combine showing Matariza hitting a plus 50 punt mm-hmm. that landed at the one inch line in in the uh, he he's having an excellent combine this only adds to it look you know we talk about this this can happen you know you had the kid from um not Miami, but Florida State, right, who got drafted in the second round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers recently and that was a complete flame out for them um, but you also have stories like Janikowski where he gets drafted or and and it works out you know what I mean you could have a first round specialist I don't know if you could have a first round punter and I don't know how Ray Guy was a first round punter and uh, the story was way back in 1973 and Al Davis made the pick and his coach John Madden stormed out of the meeting screaming are you kidding me we just wasted a first round pick on a punter Three Super Bowl wins later, no one complained on the Hall of Famer Ray Guy. All right, I got some thoughts on what's best for the Packers. In fact, we got a lot of quarterback news coming up, including the size of hands coming up next. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Steve Hartman and Rich Armberger brought to you by one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. Every game, match, race, and competition, it is always on. Whoever you root for, whatever sport you love to watch, the biggest games are even bigger in Vegas. So make sure to plan your trip today at visitlasvegas.com. All right, a lot of quarterback talk I want to get to right now, Rich. I want to give my thoughts on the Aaron Rodgers situation here quickly because if indeed the report is accurate, the deals are in place. Potential deals are in place with the Steelers, the Broncos, and the Titans. And the compensation is worthy 
of a two-time reigning NFL MVP. If I were the Green Bay Packers, I would not hesitate to make the move. And I say this because when you look at the last few years with Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason, and it's not just teammates, it's he's a big part of it, they've come up short in the playoffs. I mean, if if they release if they if they get rid of Aaron Rodgers and get multiple number ones in return and other additional compensation, you have a quarterback that you drafted in the first round, Jordan Love. He's been in the system for a couple of years. I would hope that your coaching staff is preparing him to eventually take over as the starting quarterback of this team. Now, if you go from Aaron Rodgers one year to Jordan Love the next year, are you going to be at the same level? Obviously not. But if he is the talent you thought he was when you moved up in the draft to originally take him, then, okay, you might take a step back one year, but you might take a step forward the following year. You have a great young coach in Matt LaFleur. He's not going anywhere. So if the compensation package is worthy of a guy that is a future first ballot Hall of Famer and a two-time reigning MVP, NFL MVP, if I were the Packers, boom, gone, gone. Well, listen, I uh, I don't disagree with you, but here's what I'll say about Matt LaFleur and the Packers. Yes, he's a talented head coach who's had Aaron Rodgers his entire tenure as yep. a head coach. Look, you know, I, I want to give credit where credit's due. You know, there are certain coaches in the NFL who I think deserve a tremendous amount of credit for their accomplishments um, as head coaches. Andy Reid, throughout decades now, has proven to be one of these types of coaches who is going to win regardless of the circumstances. Bill Belichick, even through the turmoil of losing the greatest football player, uh, of all time, has found a way to sustain the success in New England. Uh, and, and now breaking in a brand-new rookie quarterback who looks pretty good, man. Um, you know, Sean McVay, he went to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff and then did something the Detroit Lions couldn't do for 12 years. He brought Matthew Stafford to a Super Bowl and won it with him. You know, but I, I – look, I balk at the opportunity to praise a coach who's never done it when the circumstances haven't presented themselves where they have to earn it without a, a, a future Hall of Famer quarterback. You know, I, I, I mean, I mean, is Pete Carroll going to the Hall of Fame in the NFL without Russell Wilson? And I'm not saying he got lucky, but is he? I, I mean, what does Pete Carroll's coaching career look like without Russell will, Wilson? Will Bill Belichick go to the Hall of Fame without Tom Brady? I don't I don't know. I mean, but the story— I mean, he was the coach at Cleveland, didn't do a whole lot there. They, he turned them into a playoff team while he was For there. For one year okay. out of so, five. So, he Steve, he took a dreadful football team, turned them into a playoff team, yeah. and then went to New England and started the the uh, dynasty yeah. uh, with a team that was absolutely He also followed sputtered. that playoff year with a bad with year. With a six-round draft pick. Look, Tom— Tom Brady, before he was Tom Brady, was a six-round draft pick yes. out of Michigan. Okay, so, so who I mean, made part, who? Part, part of the conversation is there was work to be done. Do you remember the Packers' record before Matt LaFleur showed up? They had a losing team he inherited. They had Aaron Rodgers. Oh, and they, they had, had a losing Aaron team Rogers. because Aaron Rodgers had a collarbone injury. Uh, the last couple of years there weren't great with Mike McCarthy. Aaron Rodgers was often injured during the last 
of the years of the McCarthy tenure. All right, so you are. I, 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 I'm just saying this. Well, listen, the bottom line listen, is the Packers are have be, to make a decision the, with Matt Lafleur. Right. Either you believe this guy is actually a quality coach my and can do things, or you don't. My point is this: it it everything you said feels credible, and it feels like we, you know we could all rest assured that Matt Lafleur's got this thing figured out because it's worked so well with Aaron Rodgers, who's arguably one of the most talented quarterbacks who's ever walked the planet Earth, or. If I'm the front office in Green Bay, I'm going to try my absolute hardest to keep Aaron Rodgers. If there is a way, and I'm and there is, I, I'm convinced there is. I don't know what it's going to take, but if there's a way to keep Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and keep him happy for one more season, wouldn't you delay this one more year and try to win a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers? It all depends on what's being offered. Like I said, if 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 the if the if the compensation does not match the stature of Aaron Rodgers, then no, I'm not going to give him away for anything. But if somebody just blows my doors off, and again, when you have multiple teams competing, you're going to up the ante. And if oh, yeah. somebody is offering me, I, again, what, what, like when we talk about first-round draft picks, right? And you say, all right, so let's say you offer three first-round draft picks for Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so that gives you three more opportunities in the draft to get it right. You've already used the number one on Jordan Love. You believed enough in Jordan Love as a future starting quarterback to move up in the draft. That's how much you believed in this guy as a potential starting quarterback in this league. Now you add to that, plus, by the way, it would also give you an opportunity to franchise tag Devontae Adams. Now that doesn't mean Devontae Adams has to accept it, as we know, Um but I, I don't know. I just – look, he's been there the last three years. Aaron Rodgers did not play well in that playoff loss at home against the 49ers. And, yep. the, and, and you know, we I, I, pro football focus does a lot of different things. Uh, Jeff uh, Schwartz is a big believer in this. And here's what he says. When you look at Aaron Rodgers, thing that always is remarkable, why he has the highest passer rating in the history of the game, he doesn't throw interceptions. He doesn't take a lot of unnecessary chances. But the risk takers, Tom Brady's one of those, yep. and he's a little bit inconsistent because he will throw some picks, but the risk takers tend to do better in playoff games. And Aaron Rodgers is not that guy. Um, so the fact is they haven't been to a Super Bowl. It's going on 12 years, Green Bay, with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, but they've so been why too, not listen. why not turn the page and start preparing for the future? Be- because now? because Jordan Love is going to be a step back. So yes, you're right. At some point, you're going to have to prepare for the future. But just because you traded up to get Jordan Love doesn't mean that he's an NFL product that's going to bring you success or any sort of sustained success. I mean, the Jets traded up to get Sam Darnold. Uh, the Bears traded up to get Mitchell Trubisky. The, the Rams traded up to get Jared Goff. You know, I, I mean, the Denver Broncos traded up to get Paxton Lynch. Look, a lot of teams trade up and, and get a quarterback who ends up busting on them. The Browns, they traded up to get Johnny Manziel. It, it, it doesn't always work out. And the quarterback position is such a mercurial 
uh, position to draft and to try to evaluate. I, I mean, it's sort of like the old expression, you know, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah, you could say, okay, over there in the draft, we can get our replacement for Aaron Rodgers. And who knows? Maybe that's true. Aaron Rodgers was a first-round draft pick who waited behind Brett Favre for years before becoming uh, the next Hall of Fame quarterback out of Green Bay. But that may not be the case with Jordan Love. So I guess my point is, yes, you're absolutely right. At some point, the Green Bay Packers will turn the page on Aaron Rodgers. Well, uh, right but if, now, the, but if I'm them, uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not anxious to. Well, my point again is, if he doesn't have as good a year, if there is a drop off in his game. Then you've lost your leverage. I just want to, I don't, again, the package would have to be through the roof. I'm not giving away Aaron Rodgers, yeah. but based on where he stands right now and that you have three teams allegedly already with proposals on the table, I'd be very curious to see what they're offering. All right, let's find out what's trending right now. Here's a guy that is never on the trade market, ever, and that never. would be David Gascon. It's because I feel like I'm on the waiver wire, that's why. <laughs> Gascon's coming up. <laughs> The perpetual waiver wire. <laughs> you know what? You know what it is, and and I've I've used this throughout beautiful. my career. It, it's survive in advance. You yeah. know, you just you know one day at a time, just survive in advance. You're in the postseason. Yeah. Just, just keep <laughs> keep moving along. Yeah. Do you guys uh, do you guys read a lot of threads on Twitter? Oh yeah, every once in a while unravel. Yeah, yeah, Rich yeah. is a big guy. And, yeah. I'll, Steve, I'll, you don't? I'll not necessarily. I was reading a thread, t- 10 life lessons from Mr. Miyagi. Oh, very nice. Uh, adversity is inevitable, sure. oftentimes out of control. In life, there's survivors and they're victims. Mm-hmm. I like that. There are no shortcuts. Yeah. Choose your crowd wisely. Don't be afraid, so on and so forth. Yeah. 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 I, well, I agree yeah. with a lot of that. I I, I pretty much, uh, I think Rich knows this, and I think you know this, I, I pretty much established my preferred path in yeah. life. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, Steve is a trailblazer. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't control everything, but everything that I, what I want to do, for the most part, I'm able to do. Now, is that in or out of the bedroom? That's everywhere. Oh. Wow. That's out of that. Professionally, privately, the whole shebang. Speaking oh, yeah. of which, yeah. I got to play this uh, this highlight. Final horn sounds. Longwood, Big South champions. Unbelievable season. They don't need the cardiac kids today. You can put your nitroglycerin pills away. Longwood dominates from start to finish. And the Lancers are going dancing. Now, that was uh, Iowa Sam in a certain hotel room last week during Gavin's wedding. <laughs> wow. Can I make a quick correction? No, here? you can't. Really no, quick. No, no. Loyal you Chicago. Can't, no. Can I really quick here, Dave? I'm sorry. I always pipe in during your updates. <laughs> Loyal Chicago actually beat Northern Iowa in the semifinal. They're facing off against another Iowa based team, Drake Bulldogs, based out of Des Moines in Ooh. the MVC Championship. So I was wrong. At Loyola has not clinched the I MVC was tournament, say, tournament yet. You're all over the map today. Did, I am a little bit. Did you correct yourself like, from 90 was, minutes ago? I did, yeah, because I, I, I like, care. When you said Loyola is not had the won same. the MVC tournament, because I, I just I was, saw it this was a day too early. that Sister Jean was looking forward to it, and I'm like, it was over like in a day? I, I, was, a little, I was a little off. Yeah, correct me, y'all. I apologize Sorry for that. accusing And by the way, Stephen Loyola right now is getting blown out by Drake early. It's 13 to So you had already promised Sister Jean that she's in 
the tournament, and now she yeah. may not be well, in the tournament. This well, stuff bugs me you. if I don't correct it, so I appreciate you guys. Well, looking, I hope because you know. we have a national, actually a worldwide audience. Yeah. People in Iowa are just shaking their heads. For accurate information. There's, there's a reason why hosts reset the show every like 15 minutes yeah. is because the audience is never the same. Yeah. But thanks for bringing them back 90 minutes later. I right? needed a reboot. Yeah. Yeah. Loyola well, yeah. is very yeah. much a bubble team. They have to I'll win this tournament to guarantee uh, spot in the tournament. Now, so. Steve and Rich, you guys have a lot of pull here. Is yeah. there any chance you guys can get Iowa Sam fired from the show? No, oh, he is no, another I'm, guy that's he untouchable. Is, he, yeah, I was going to say, he is one of those those rare few who's mm-hmm. not only is he going nowhere, but he'll have the golden parachute <laughs> when he finally decides to go. He has a lot of days taken off. He has, he's now like popular on everyone's list to attend weddings. Why? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because of his uh, the way he looked in his tuxedo oh, at Gavin's wedding people are just saying that is a guy Elastic even if he has guys make nothing to do with the bride or groom we just need there. They really just want me there as a seat filler condone any of this yeah. Yeah. really fills out a cumberbund yeah. <laughs> I do wow what that means but thank you yeah. it means no, you have a big he gut said, he, I was no, 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 large said, gut he said his hips what can be a, a problem for he him he says he has birth bearing hips a bow leg a bow leg I said that in the tuxedo he's wearing to those elastic pants guys there's sports being played today so I must yeah. uh, keep you guys informed. But Michigan is leading Ohio State right now, 71-67. That's on Fox as we speak. Nebraska by 12, over 10th ranked Wisconsin, 30-18 to 18, uh, is the tally there. You guys mentioned Drake and Lila Chicago. Drake leads by 7. Central Florida by 10 over Tulsa. Memphis hammered Houston, 75-61. to 61. And then Penn State lost to Rutgers, 59-58. to 58. Birth, yeah, birth-bearing hips. Yeah, yeah. very. I was saying, oh, yeah. I can't give birth. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> hey, what well, it looks like it though? <laughs> okay. Just in case you were wondering, it's official. Iowa Sam cannot give birth. But he looks and pregnant. The- <laughs> right. This is true. <laughs> okay. All right. That was that was being back and forth, but now we know that. Um, can we talk small hands right now? Speaking of birth. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. So. Um, this was interesting. The two biggest stories seemingly that came out of the combine so far is a 341-pound Jordan Davis breaking 4-8 in the 40, and yeah. the fact that Kenny Pickett, the pick quarterback, Heisman finalist, would have the smallest hands of any starting quarterback in the NFL. I want to go over this list right now with you about hand size among current Quarterbacks, or at least the guys that were the guys, the prominent quarterbacks for their teams uh, in 2021. Okay. Smallest hand size of a main starting quarterback in the NFL last year was Taysom Hill at eight and three quarters. Whew. Next up are three guys that checked in at just nine inches. That's hand size, by the way. <laughs> one of them is Jared Goff. Remember that? Going into being the draft's uh, number one overall pick. Ryan Tannehill has nine-inch hands. Oof. And the other guy, uh, Joe Burrow. Wow. So Joe Burrow is tied for second for the smallest hand size of any quarterback in the NFL. And the last time I checked, he's doing pretty well. I'll give you another guy that's sort of low on that totem pole in the bottom 10 in terms of hand size. A guy named Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs checks in at just nine and a quarter inches. Mm. Now, as far as the top three's hand size, this is sort of mind-blowing to me. The starting quarterbacks in this league that have the biggest hands, 
One of them is Josh Allen. Now, that doesn't right. surprise you because that's a giant man, right? Yeah. Checking in at 10 and an eighth. Wow. 10 and an eighth. That's a commanding amount of um, Yeah, hand length. size. Yeah. Tied with him at 10 and an eighth. Go on. Aaron Rodgers. Whoa. Big hands. Cold weather uh, quarterbacks. You're yeah. going to need that for a firm grip on the, the mm-hmm. football. The, however. You know, yeah. However. <laughs> Standing alone at the top of the mountain, checking in at 10 and a quarter. 10 and a quarter. Unmatched. Biggest hands of any current starting quarterback in the NFL. Can I guess? Go for it. (sighs) My guess is, geez. My guess is Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger, nine and seven eighths. There you have it. How about this? Nine and seven eighths? No. I'm saying 10 and a quarter. Sorry, Ben, not even close. In fact, how about this? Tua Tunga by Loa, bigger hands than Ben Roethlisberger. Whoa! Checked in at 10. Trevor Lawrence at 10. Justin Herbert at 10. Dak Prescott at 10. Matthew Stafford at 10. But all alone at 10 and a quarter, Russell Wilson. How about it? At 5'11", one of the shortest quarterbacks in the league, has got the biggest hands at 10 and a quarter. By the way, the largest hands ever by a quarterback measured in the NFL. And this uh, shows you how some guys will, uh, these talent evaluators will get enamored with hand size. Back in the 1997 NFL draft, the San Francisco 49ers were coming to the end of Steve Young's career. So you went from Joe Montana to Steve Young, and you're looking for that next star quarterback. And one of the hot guys in that draft was a guy named Jake Plummer coming out of Arizona State, who went on to have a pretty decent NFL career. But they passed on him because this guy had hands, the only quarterback ever in NFL history with hands that measured over 11 inches. Yeah. The immortal Jim Drunkenmiller. Jim Jim Drunkenmiller. Of course. He was drafted at the 26th overall pick, first-round draft pick. His entire NFL career consisted of six games. He played six games in the NFL, and it was over. So this whole idea about hand size and everything else, it didn't stop Jared Goff from being the first pick of the draft or Joe Burrow, who's had some success, I would say, with the Bengals. So when I hear all this fuss about hand size with Kenny Pickett, seems to me like so many other things, you know how this works, Rich. A distraction. Well, like, listen, you know, saying, Kenny well, Pickett, gee, wow, eight and a half. This guy can't hold a football. He How's he going to play quarterback he, in the he NFL? Does, he, he doesn't appear to have, like, any trouble playing football. But, no. like, like, I mean, the things that are, he's going to struggle with is, like, you know, when when he's trying to open a pickle jar, like, and his fingers don't quite Thank reach you. Yeah. over the whole lid. Like, he'll probably mm. hand that off to his girlfriend or something. Or, yes. you know, he's holding a number two pencil and it looks like a highlighter in his hand, you know? <laughs> like, those sort of things. Those, yeah. yeah those uh, by the way, for the record, wow. Tom Brady at nine and three eighths bottom half of the league wow in terms of hand size i i think what's what's really funny about this and i do i think it's just funny it has no real bearing on how he's going to work out as an (laughs) nfl quarterback obviously but what i think is funny about it is because there is such a strong correlation um 
in terms of foot size and hand size to other things that every time mm-hmm. every time this comes around and there's undoubtedly one quarterback that's going to have to go through this the smallest hands at the combine and is it a factor it comes up every year there's a little bit of a level of humiliation that that comes with oh this. yeah and and then they have to ask answer questions about this and because they're they're being interviewed for a job publicly that they want so desperately, <laughs> they actually have to be prepped on how to answer these questions. Well, I, I'm looking at a headline here. There's a picture of a picket, right? And yeah. the headline is, Pickett's hands smaller than any current NFL quarterback. Oh, and it's got his big smiling face. And it's is he like, holding like a giant microphone <laughs> that's normal size for everyone else? <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing ever. It's just so dumb. But it's, uh, you know what you're trying to do? There's probably a, a number of teams that are interested in him. And you're you're one of those teams. You're like, ah, yeah, wow. Geez, small hands. I don't think we're going to take him. It's going to be a zero factor, I promise you, in the future of Kenny Pickett uh, in the NFL. All right. Uh, on the other side, what a night last night for LeBron James. Can we put in perspective a guy putting up 56 on the Warriors last night? We'll try coming up next. Look at those hands. Small hands. Look at those hands. Steve Harbin, Rich Armberger, Fox Sports Sunday. Did you uh, happen to watch that Lakers-Warriors game last night? Um, I did not, but I watched the uh, the recap of that game, and I watched what LeBron James did. Oh. I mean, uh, did you I, see when he made three three pointers in a row? Matthew Stafford was at the game. Yep, and he uh, actually had a little exchange with Stafford. He was like, yeah. "Do you think I couldn't? I couldn't? Uh, you know, it's something like I couldn't have a game like that if, with you in the house or something like you know." He was showing off a little bit, which there's very few players who can who can take over an entire game all by themselves. And he was playing against one of them, Steph Curry. I mean, that's certainly one of those dudes. Um, But in the league every year, like where, you know, you could just completely overtake a game. And LeBron's obviously one of those players. But what's so fascinating about this is his age and the way he takes over games. Exactly. I mean, we were marveling at Jordan Davis at 341 pounds running a 47840. He's 22 years old. LeBron James, it wasn't just the threes. I mean, he had an alley-oop from Malik Monk, just a monster slam elevating himself. And, and, and it, to me, it always gets back to this, Rich. And, and, and Tom Brady, obviously, in the same class at age 44, throwing more yards or more passes than any giver of his entire career. When you talk about athletes that have done it all, nothing to prove, nothing, and they still drive themselves mm-hmm. to maintain a level, the commitment it takes is unimaginable for the average person. But for the Tom Brady's, for the LeBron Jameses of the world, this is what they do. There's no slacking. There are no days off. The physical conditioning of LeBron James, who's played 19 years, plus enough playoff games, the equivalent of three more seasons. To do that against Golden State, 56, I mean, sometimes you have to take a step back and really appreciate what it is you're watching and I had a moment last night because I was watching this game where I'm like, take it in, man, because you're not going to see this again. You're just not going to see the likes of a LeBron James again. No way. 
he's a big, powerful, um, freakish athlete who you know has refined his perimeter shooting game to complement mm-hmm. what he's able to do mm-hmm. when the paint is sort of shut down. I mean, he's look. I I completely agree with you. I think that we're living in an era that we're not truly going to. Uh, fully respect or admire until after his career is over with. You know, I, I think we're very spoiled sometimes as viewers uh, and and sometimes get tired of seeing greatness. If I, that That's as true with, you know, Tom Brady and mention him in the same breath as it is with LeBron James. But there will be a day 10 years from now where we're looking back on games like this going, how did, how did he do it? Like, how is he still physically capable to do that at that age? And it, it defies logic, but here we are. I mean, he did it again at age 37, and it's remarkable. His scoring average this year is the highest it's been in any season in 12 years at age 37. That's when he was 25, and now he's 37 on a very bad team. They're not good. I mean, some people were talking like, well, is this a win turn the season around? No, it doesn't. All it does is amplify the player that LeBron James is, has been, and we're just not going to see his likes again. He is doing stuff. He is in unchartered territory, just like Tom Brady was. All right, on the other side, I want to get back to the combine, Rich, because I know you've been watching. What's our takeaways? Did anybody really increase their stock? Did anyone hurt themselves from what we saw at the NFL Combine? For all your latest sports news, keep it right here. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. All right, we have really good news right now for Sister Jean. Uh, Earlier, a false report given out by our Iowa Sam that Loyola Chicago is safely in the tournament, having won the Missouri Valley Conference Championship. Mm. Uh, the championship game actually had not been played yet. It is being played now. Drake had the early lead, but Loyola has now taken a seven-point lead with a minute and a half to go. So, uh, you know, giving a 102-year-old woman false hopes uh, wasn't right. Uh, you corrected it, but now... She's got to be feeling a little bit better because Loyola does have a seven-point lead, minute and a half to go in the half. And again, the winner of this game will actually yes. we're all uh, calm have now. The sure, ticket going to have a calm to the NCAA tournament. So I didn't want to, you know, poor woman, you know. I know I, I just put old. her on edge. I'm sorry, Sister right. Jean. Uh, by the way, we're brought to you by one of our favorite cities, <laughs> Las Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. Plan your trip today at visitlasvegas.com. All right, we'll have much more coming up as far as the uh, NCAA tournament. We are one week away from Selection Sunday. We're like the rest of you, man. We want to get our hands on our brackets, ready to roll. Let's get it going. And we are one week away from finding out the official field of 68. But in the meantime... We have the NFL Combines going on in Indianapolis. Uh, Adam Kaplan joined us yesterday from Indy. He's been there 18 straight years, Rich, and they're talking about moving it out. You know, then all of a sudden they've decided after all these years, and you know Indianapolis well. In fact, you were there for a Super Bowl. I've been to Indianapolis five times for Final Fours. I've actually been there many, many times. One of the great things about Indianapolis, the city, is that it's all centrally located. It's easy access to everything. I don't know how they were able to configure the whole downtown area with the stadium and the basketball arena, but it's just 
everything is in a, in a certain area. It's easy to get around. It's a perfect site, by the way, for a Final Four or even a Super Bowl. I was there for your Super Bowl back in the day. But by all accounts, it's also the perfect place for the NFL Combine. And the whole idea of the NFL Combine was simple. Instead of going to all these different, you know, jetting all over the place, going to these individual workouts, how about if we all bring them into one spot so that we can sit there, watch them, measure them, you know, the whole shebang. Now they're talking about taking it on the road elsewhere. Is this a good idea? I understand the idea is about making money, but from a practical standpoint, would it be better to just keep the combine where it is and has been for a long time Indianapolis, Indiana. No, no. I think this is something that should and could be shared with other cities that are, you know, interested in the NFL. And this is no offense to Indianapolis. Like you said, beautiful city, awesome venue for conventions and things like this. They definitely have the infrastructure for it. But the NFL draft, moving from city to city, barnstorming around I think it's a really effective marketing tool for the NFL. I think it gives fans of the game to visit destinations that they may otherwise have on their list of uh, of, of of places they might want to get to at some point. Nashville a year ago, um, you know, uh, Vegas coming up. These are experiences. And, and again, nothing against Indianapolis in the month of February, but how often do we have good weather in Indianapolis during the month of February? Yeah. I, it just, it, to me, you can have northern cities host this event. You could totally, I, and totally conceive of having it in in uh, every NFL, Minnesota, Gulf, I mean, New York, sure, why not? But doesn't it make more sense to have it in some of these warmer weather NFL destinations that people plan on getting to anyways at a certain point? What about New Orleans? What about uh, for Vegas, Southern California, Florida, Texas? I mean, these are spots that people want to see anyways. And, and so, yeah, I think that taking the show on the road is going to be a benefit not only to, you know, the, the players because uh, – I mean, I, I would prefer if I were going to the Combine for it to be hosted in, shoot, Tampa rather than Indianapolis, uh, just based on, again, just, just the weather and the ease of getting from place to place without having to bundle up. I, it's just, to me, it makes more sense. All right, so normally when we talk about the draft, we're always getting ready for the draft in terms of which quarterbacks are going to go at the top of the draft. How many quarterbacks are going to go? One, two, three, right down the list. This year's draft, at least going into the combine, the buzz was, well, there's no quarterback that's going to be in the top five. We know that. And how many quarterbacks actually potentially could go in the first round? Well, from what I gather, and I guess this really comes as no surprise because, you know, once you show up at the Combine, all of a sudden your mind goes back to quarterback. And now they are saying that as many as, get this, five quarterbacks could go in the first round. Kenny Pickett and those eight-and-a-half-inch hands, no problem. He'll still go in the top ten picks. Malik Willis, the kid out of Liberty. And by the way, let me, let me pause right there on Malik Willis. So I've been watching a lot of, you know, tape on this guy because I'll be honest with you, I have never seen a Liberty football game that I can remember. I guess we might have had one on, but I wasn't really paying attention. Um, 
at least in the highlights, you know how these highlight films make these guys look out to be all world, right? So you only see the highlights. You don't get to see everything else. He has some special gifts. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's a couple of things here about Malik Willis. One, he's not the biggest quarterback around. He's about 6'1". And usually when a guy's listed at 6'1", it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, but he has some great uh, escapability. I just, I just don't know, Rich, when you're looking at a guy at Liberty – and we, we talked about this at Trey Lance at North Dakota State. When you're coming from smaller programs and taking on lesser competition, does it make it hard to evaluate just how good they are projecting them to the NFL? Look, uh, it is impossible to say with any sort of certainty whether or not any quarterback is going to make it in the NFL as a starter or as a great, or even as a competent backup. Again, this is, I I described it as mercurial earlier. Like, it's just so difficult to pin down in one spot what the most important analytic is when determining whether or not a quarterback is going to translate from the college level to the NFL level, regardless of where he plays. Because how many times have we seen highly talented uh, first-round talents out of huge football programs with a pedigree of winning really flame out almost immediately at the the NFL level. It's just a completely different sport at that level, and it's very difficult to predict. Here's what I will say about Malik Willis that I've heard from people who I trust out at the Combine, at the Senior Bowl where he put on a show, um, is he can hang. Like the, he's not out of place in in this room. He has tremendous intangibles. Yes, he's shorter, but his arm strength is alluring. He can really put some zip on the football. Uh, he obviously has athleticism that is highly regarded in the NFL these days at the quarterback position because of how much they ask the quarterbacks to do in certain offenses. So there are things that you're seeing on tape um, as he competes competes against these other quarterbacks in all-star games and at the combine that really intrigue you outside of just what he's done on the field at Liberty alone. I'll go another step further and say this. The word out of Indianapolis, this year's combine, is coaches and scouts loved him on the whiteboard. So this guy was described to us by the senior executive director of the Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, as a gym rat. And what he meant by that is this guy's all football. Like he just, he loves every single inch of it. He wants to know everything. He's a why guy. He understands it inside out. And when he got on to the coaches' interviews during the combine, he really impressed people. So he's checking a lot of the boxes. We'll see if it translates at the NFL, but I would just as soon put a flyer out on a guy like Malik Willis in in sort of an up-and-down prospect room quarterback-wise out of Liberty as I would on a Kenny Pickett from Pitt because at this day, at this point in football, it really doesn't matter where you come from. We know that. It just matters how well your game translates to the NFL level. And that's one thing nobody can predict until he actually gets onto an NFL field. All right, well, going into the combine, we were talking about Pickett. We were talking about Willis, talking about Matt Carell, Sam Howell, sort of a fringe guy, maybe first, second round. But one guy who apparently really helped his draft stock 
is Desmond Ritter, the quarterback out of Cincinnati. What they said was, first of all, he's a proven leader. He's been at Cincinnati for a number of years. Uh, they tremendous back-to-back seasons the last couple of years getting into the playoff as they did. But the thing they said about his performance at the Combine was what they call the testing portion. He dominated the Mm. testing portion of the NFL Combine. He's a natural leader. Um, and, and, And again, when I always talk about the word leader, the definition of a leader is someone who inspires others to follow. I mean, for what, whatever it is about you, you have to inspire others to follow. That's how you are a leader. And apparently, Desmond Ritter is that. One team that's being mentioned as a possible destination for Desmond Ritter, and they're selecting 11th overall in the draft, the Washington Commanders. Hmm. And they said, this is the kind of guy that Ron Rivera would fall in love with overnight. So watch out there. Desmond Ritter, one of those guys that, you know, you you look, he had a great career at Cincinnati, no question about that, guided a a group of five school all the way into the college football playoff. But once they got him to the combine, he turned heads. So keep keep an eye on that name, Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati. I'll I'll give you – because I watched a bunch of Cincinnati games Mm -hmm. – and I, I watched a lot of Desmond Ritter later in the season. Yep. One of the things that I don't think is easily quantifiable, and I'm sure like Pro Football Focus does this, I'm sure there are outlets who cover this, is when a quarterback, when you look at a quarterback's completion percentage, mm-hmm. it's one thing. But then when you look at how many how many of those passes are on target but get dropped, it's another thing. Like Desmond Ritter is a very, very accurate passer. I, I you know, and regardless of what the traditional statistics may say, like I, I really, I mean, this guy can he can put it on the money. So there, look, I, I again, football at the next level, it's very difficult to predict who is going to shine at the next level, who's going to really struggle at the next level, but there are certain intangibles that really, really matter and they're very difficult to change. Not everybody is Josh Allen, where you could take a, a completion percentage that was pretty pretty woefully low coming out of college and work on it and advance in that category as much as he had. Most guys really can't. Ritter is one of those guys who, that's that's one of the the higher ceiling guys in that capacity. But if you want to talk about the, the biggest value you. I mean, Malik Willis kind of won the Senior Bowl. If you're going to be, if we're all going to be honest with each other, all the all the reports out of the Senior Bowl was how impressed teams were with the Liberty quarterback. It feels like he's on the way to winning the combine as well. We'll see if that translates to the NFL. We don't know until he gets there. But in terms of like the quarterback prospects, this happens every year, Steve. We hear it every year, unless there's this all-star cast coming out of college, like there was the Burrow year or the two. Year, like usually by April, everybody's been worked up into a lather, and there's going to be a bunch of first rounders, anyways. Yeah, and again, you're always looking for the X factor, right? We always talk about the mysterious X factor. I remember Dak Prescott was one of those guys that wowed him at the combines with what they call the X factor. Like some of the numbers didn't add up, but when they saw him out there, he had a certain presence, and it turned out the Cowboys were paying attention and found themselves a franchise quarterback. All right, uh, coming up on the other side, Mike. 
Krzyzewski stepping down after 42 years as the Duke basketball coach. Are we going to see those iconic figures in college basketball in the coaching ranks? Or we have a new breed of what we're going to expect from college basketball coaches coming up next. Steve Harbin, Rich Hornberger. This is Fox Sports Sunday. The, the biggest difference between college sports and professional sports is the coaches are the stars. And the players come and go, and we get these little glimpses of a phenomenal college football player, college basketball player, and and then they move on to the professional ranks, but the coaches stay behind. But in college basketball, even more so than college football, yeah, you got the Nick Sabans of the world. I mean, they're, you got these superstar college football coaches, but in basketball, I mean, it's, it's next level. I mean, there's no question, Rich, that the biggest stars in college basketball – are these coaches. You know, I I look at the makeup of these Halls of Fame. I remember in 2007, the Basketball Hall of Fame announced its class. And there were seven inductees. One was a referee. One was a team. The Texas Western team, the first uh, all-black starting lineup to win a national championship. They actually put teams in. The other five inductees were coaches. Two international coaches a WNBA coach, Phil Jackson, and Roy Williams. No players. Can you can you imagine if there was like a, a pro football Hall of Fame class where it was only coaches? No <laughs> players? There are almost as many coaches in the Basketball Hall of Fame as there are in players. And the reason I mention this is you got Mike Krzyzewski, 42 years at Duke. And by the way, he also coached five years at Army before that. Right. 47 years. Jim Beheim is in his 46th year at Syracuse. I mentioned that Jim Beheim was the coach at Syracuse's first year when Gerald Ford was still the president. This iconic last forever. We got Tom Izzo still at Michigan State. You know, Roy Williams finally stepped down after all those years at Kansas and North Carolina last year. Is this... Is this going to continue on? I mean, we yes. got Mark Few. I mean, he's sitting at Gonzaga now since the 1990s. No, of course it's going to continue on. It's going to continue on is because that, is that good? it's becoming more – it's becoming easier for players to mm. jump ship on a situation or mm. a program that's not suiting their needs. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get me wrong, that's been happening with coaches forever in college, both football and basketball. But, um, you know, the, the, the there's been more ado made about the transfer portal than, you know, a coach leaving a team, uh, you know, midseason or, or late season or before the postseason, whether it be in college football or basketball um, for, for years and years and years now. But that's all kind of besides the point because now the players are catching up and and coaches still took more bows than the players anyways even if you have star players who play in a program for four years like you mentioned Steve it's a revolving door so how do you have consistency with a college football or basketball program it's by having a great coach and a great coach who has a staff that can help develop players and churn out NBA talents and stay at the top of the heap 
in a sport that is continuing to be an arms race, even more so with the transfer portal, as I mentioned. So it's it's not going away anytime soon. And, you know, frankly, just from – I don't like halls of fame. I think they're stupid. I think they are um, sort of eliminating a lot of the history of the game so we have something to debate and discuss. And so certain people in the sports world can feel special because they're the gatekeepers who determine, you know, who we remember as the elite of their era. I think it's all really stupid and phony um, in general, but if you're going to make an argument for who's deserving of having uh, uh, a lot of members into the College Basketball Hall of Fame, I mean, the, the, the coaches... there's no arguing the impact of the coach because again, they're the ones who are there year after year after year, sometimes for 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the case of coach K and Bayheim at their respective programs. Yeah. I I know some people get on me about being uh, hypercritical of coach K. It's not that I'm hypercritical of coach K. He is literally in the top three at the very least. He's not John Wooden. Okay. Is he number two all time? There's only a couple guys you can mention as the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. This I will give him credit for. Because early on in his career, he had one advantage that very few coaches of that era, and we're talking about the late 80s into the early 1990s, is that his players stayed you know, at this point already, we were seeing a lot of players, you know, maybe not so many one and dones, but like two and dones, like the Magic Johnsons, the Isaiah Thomases. Guys were leaving school early. None of that happened to him during a run of nine years in which he made seven Final Fours. All his great players, whether it was Johnny Dawkins or Danny Ferry or Bobby Hurley or Christian Leitner or Grant Hill, they all stayed four full years at Duke. And then came that era with Elton Brand, and he left early, and he was dealing with this, and you could see him fighting it. Meanwhile, Calipari there was picking up all these one-and-dones and flourishing, and finally Coach K said, you know what, if that's the way it is, then that's what I'm going to do. And that's where he's been the last couple of years, Zion Williamson and some of these other one-and-dones that passed through Duke. Um, so I give him credit for understanding that we're at a different time. And by the way, Next year with John Shire taking over as the head coach at Duke, according to rivals, top 150 high school players entering the ranks next year, number one, number two, number three, all Duke. Um, yeah. So he is not leaving the cupboard bare, that's for sure. But it's got to be, think about that. It used to be you recruit a guy and you're going to have years, a couple of years to develop him. You, you know, you, you've got seniors and juniors. You start developing the underclassmen and then you move those guys into the lineup. That's no longer the case. And I can imagine for a guy like Krzyzewski, whose coaching career goes back to the 1970s, it's a jolt because you want to be with these guys. You want to have that input on their careers, right? You want to develop these young guys. And that's just not the case anymore. So I'm sure the challenge was monumental. I give them credit (laughs) for going there, but it's tough. I mean, look, you're you're giving credit to inarguably one of the greatest coaches of all time for something that – you know, I, I, I mean, among all of his career accomplishments, the fact that he switched his thought process from trying to 
find raw talents and develop them mm-hmm. and then turn to getting one and done talents. Yeah. I mean, what's the easier route to being a successful coach in college basketball? It's undoubtedly using the prestige of your university to lure one and done talents to your program. Like that's less impressive to me than all of the history that you just described. The fact that he was able to take raw quote unquote uncut gems and polish them into NBA yep. prized prospects. And, and to win championships with them and to have success. That's the harder route. And so that's what I give him more credit for. Look, where we've arrived in college sports in general is going to make the job of a coach less of, about coaching and more about recruiting. You know, And this is true in both college basketball and college football. It, the best recruiters are going to have the best teams. Now, don't get me wrong. You still have to develop talent. You still have to have an offensive system that fits your player profiles and defensive coaches who are able to put players into positions to have success. But it is an arms race, and those with the best ammunition are typically going to have the best results. So that's the reason why the Alabamas continue to get richer and the Clemsons and the Ohio States. Uh, you know, the list goes on in college uh, football. You know the Blue Bloods in basketball, the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the Gonzagas. You know, they've even gone international with their approach. Mark Few it brings in international talents who even play professionally overseas at different points in their careers. So, look, I mean, to be a coach now, if you are going to be a, co- a coach, I, I, probably as big a part of your resume packet that you put together when you're interviewing for the job with university presidents and decision makers, as, as much as you're going to talk about your scheme, like what zone you're going to be running defensively when you hit the floor with your team, uh, you, also, you better have a, a pretty hefty part of that resume packet talking about how many five-star recruits you were able to bring into the programs uh, or how many highly touted recruits you were able to bring into the programs that you worked prior uh, to making your way to that university. Otherwise, they're going to move on to the next. All right, let's find out what's trending right now. We bring back Mr. David Gascon. Are you a Coach K fan, Duke fan? Either, you know, Duke's one of those polarizing programs. Either you're in or out. I don't really care about Coach K. Wow. I, I think uh, <laughs> I think his bigger impact, at least for me, is when he's a part of the national teams when it comes to the Olympics. Right, and he came in and got yeah. uh, you know Kobe back in the mix yeah. and uh, started rattling off some gold medals. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I mean, just speaking at it as a West Coast guy, just you know, Duke doesn't resonate for me. I mean, North Carolina doesn't. Michigan State doesn't. Uh, certainly, Iowa doesn't. They never have for the nation. Well, does it bother uh, you as a West Coast program. guy that they get all that uh, attention? I'll, I'll ignore your Iowa. No, I mean, but I mean, it goes uh, it goes Iowa, the same yeah. way. Like, I mean, you hear this synonymously every year. Where why do people on the West Coast always feel forced to watch Yankees Red Sox? Yep, it's just what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, those are two gems of major league baseball but you know we get the lakers and celtics we get the Lakers. we get the lakers than anybody right lakers will be on prime time no matter what the occasion is and so i think it just goes to the markets that they play in but yeah i mean duke's the blue blood north carolina obviously um so yeah it's, it's not that big of a deal but it is good to see someone there for such a long period of time but you know, college athletics is as rich had just mentioned drastically changing especially with the name image and likeness um i i I mean for being a usc guy 
I still love when UCLA is a great basketball powerhouse. Like when they're a oh, threat. I think it's always a. I mean, with you know Alabama returning to glory under Nick Saban, yeah. Um, USC when uh, Pete Carroll returned them to glory, yeah. I think it's always good for uh, on the collegiate level. Traditional powers talk about Notre Dame football all the time, yeah. Or a Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, UCLA, and basketball. I think the sports are better when those elite programs are playing at an elite level. I do too. I. I mean, I think. I mean, I hate saying this, but. I love when they're playing at an elite level and then they get upset. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. It, it's a part of the, the human interest of sport is to see, you know, to see the David and Goliath scenarios. You know yeah. what I mean? To see, you know, if uh, who knows, like, you know what I mean? Like uh, if a Cincinnati can knock off a Notre Dame you right. know, or, or, or Michigan or an Alabama, is it possible? We love those stories. And so I agree with you both. I, I, I mean, I have no problem with highly esteemed programs having success because it does set up better storylines throughout the course of the college or professional season. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be, I mean, they're not on a radar nationally, but you're going to hear or see the national reaction to the NBA postseason when Memphis gets in. Yeah. And John Morant will, I mean, he just jumps off the radar, but he's going to get this kind of attention that Donovan Mitchell got two years ago in Utah when Obviously, he was carrying the jazz, and it's deserved. Like, that dude, he didn't go to a power power five or a power six, as you'd say, in college basketball, but that guy is, is one of the gems throughout the entire NBA, and he's putting the Grizzlies on the map. So, um, guys, college basketball, since we are here, uh, Wisconsin by 10 now over Nebraska. They've outscored him in the second half. 26 to 12. Uh, Drake, which was leading the majority of that first half, now trailing Lila Chicago 43 to 38. SMU now trailing at home to Tulane 35-32. Memphis hammered 14th ranked Houston 75 to 61. Michigan upsets 23rd ranked Ohio State uh, later on today. Maryland, Michigan State, and then also you get a handful of other teams that includes on FS1 Illinois and Iowa. They'll tip off at 7:30 Eastern. NBA menu, Celtics come from behind. They dropped the Brooklyn Nets, 126-120. to 120. Jason Tatum in that game, guys, 54 points. Oh, wow. 54 points. That's a lot. Uh, by the way, LeBron's 56 match, Trey Young, for the mm-hmm. highest point total in a game this season, 56. That's good, man. Will Chamberlain scored 100 in a game one time. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> 100. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I would love to know the heights and weights of the, the opponent. You know what I mean? Like, were they all five foot six, five foot ten? They were not. Uh, they weren't. <laughs> but no one was the size of Will. Look at every. Always people say, well, could Will dominate? Will would have been even as dominant now because of the different brand of basketball we we have. I mean, he was just a freakish athlete at seven foot one. Um, oh yeah. So a guy like Will Chamberlain. Uh, would have dominated in any era, believe me. But yeah, a hundred points in one game. That uh, I think that record will stand the test of time. It's my guess on that one. Uh, Can't do it, uh, uh, David. Thank you very much. Um, by the way, we're brought to you by one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. Plan your trip today at visitlasvegas.com. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Rich, uh, that Major League Baseball is proposing a pitch clock. So that's that's about the time of the game, right? They want to they want to shorten the games, and they're trying to come up with some kind of gimmick to try to shorten the length of the games. 
But I also mentioned the fact that there are certain dynamics that analytics have, to me, put out an inferior product in baseball. And I'm going to give MLB a little credit right now because they have two other proposals that they want to implement to help as far as the aesthetic of the game. One of them, believe it or not, is to have larger bases. Like the actual size of the bases at first, second, and third would increase in size. Now you're saying, well, what exactly would that do? Well, they actually believe that it would encourage more base stealing. It would also help prevent injuries. A smaller base, when you got a guy covering the base, guy stepping on feet and everything else, would be less likely if the base... Now, we're talking about giant bases here. We're only talking about a matter of inches. But they believe that that could actually help avoid injuries and might actually encourage more base stealing. And then on top of that, the other proposal is they want to ban the shifts. I don't know how you feel about the overloaded, you know, right side or left side, but they want to maintain that you got to have two infielders on one side of second base and two infielders on the other side of second base. What do you think of that? I think that a widening the bases, you know, and I think it's by something like, you know, Four inches. I think they're going from 15 inches to 18 is what they're saying. Yeah, okay. So three inches, right? Right. Which is almost the width of a a base runner's foot. Yeah. You know, so if you think about a first baseman who's stretching for, uh, you know, a throw from short – it just gives more clearance, so you're going to avoid some of those injuries that we've seen in the past. And also, if you're decreasing the distance that a runner has to get to second, you know, taking a healthy lead from first by six inches in total, because you're decreasing the amount by the the additional width of both the bases. I'm not a math guy, but I think that works out. You know, you 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 end up encouraging more base stealing. So I'm I'm a fan of that. In terms of the shift, I don't think there's been one singular analytical innovation in the history of sport from a competition standpoint that has had more dire effects on the watchability and 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 viewership po- uh, product than the MLB shift it is one of the worst things to ever happen to the game it is one of the worst things that has ever happened in a game it is I mean, it is infuriating when you see a sharply hit ball land in the glove of a well-placed third baseman in right field. Yeah. I mean, you have a left-handed hitter who has just absolutely tattooed a liner that is going to easily drop in front of a right fielder. And instead of getting, you know, a a single at very least, but maybe an extra base if it gets past the outfielder – you're 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 going to have the third baseman with an easy catch. It is infuriating, you know. To I, I mean, th- and this happens routinely across baseball all season long. So if they do anything, if they do anything in terms of rule changes, pitch clock, widening the bases, eliminating of, the shift, getting rid of the shift is is square one stuff. It's amazing because the greatest hitter, arguably, of all time was Ted Williams. 
And it was Lou Boudreau, Hall of Fame shortstop, also manager of the Cleveland Indians, that introduced the Boudreau shift specifically for Ted Williams, who was a notorious pole hitter. He still finished his career with a 344 batting average. And one way, of course, to kill the shift is just hit the ball over the wall, uh, which Ted Williams did as well. But I never, it was like, it was so unique. It was like this, you know, chapter from the black and white film days of baseball. Wow, that was sort of weird looking. They used the shift against one guy. But then all of a sudden, what, in the last five years, it's an epidemic. I am glad Major League Baseball is putting it out there. I don't know how the players react to that. And by the way, these would be rules implemented uh, by the 2023 season. But I am with you a thousand percent. Get rid of the shifts. Two guys in the infield should be on one side of second base and two on the other side. All right, we continue on here covering a lot of things in the world of sports. Yeah, we got our minds on March Madness. We'll talk about a little update to you on where we stand on this college basketball season coming up next. Steve Harvey, Rich Hornberger, Fox Sports Sunday. If cold candidate calls aren't turning into hot hiring leads, then you need Indeed because Indeed's powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, screen, and interview candidates all from one place. Find your next great hire visiting Indeed.com slash credit. But one thing we all know is there's nothing quite like March Madness. It is, it is, uh, it has an iconic place in American society. And it, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, but there are still people that, that you have a 68 school field and people want to expand it. And I'm like, no, you don't have to expand it. That's why we have conference tournaments. I mean, think about it. No matter what kind of season you've had, Rich, as you go into your conference tournament, there's very few conference tournaments that exclude anybody. I mean, look at Georgetown right now. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the Big East. Georgetown is on a 19-game losing streak. Oh, they've been awful this season. They have lost every single game in conference play. 0-18. Patrick Ewing obviously is under siege of a, of a very proud program, Georgetown. But even that being said, the beauty of these conference tournaments is that even if you've had an insanely bad season, you still have a chance. You do indeed. And... If By you the way, really quick, navigate. I mean, I, with um, nothing like it with Patrick Ewing. Yes. because there's been so much talk about Ewing potentially moving on from Georgetown or the university wavering in their commitment to Ewing as a head coach. He released a statement on Twitter two days ago saying that any announcement about my future will come from me or Georgetown University. First and foremost, I'm not a quitter. My plan is to be back next year coaching at my alma mater and bringing this program back to prominence. And then Georgetown University released a statement in support of Patrick Ewing. So it's it's amazing you use them as an example because – he could completely, and Georgetown, the players on the court, can completely shift the narrative around this team with success in a conference tournament and a campaign in March. It's it's amazing how fast you can reverse the fortunes of a season if you get, if you get hot at the right time. Oh, by the way, I have an update. They lost again. They've lost twenty oh. in a row. <laughs> oh, and nineteen. Unbelievable in the conference. Oh, and and by the way, they started the year six and five. 
Yeah. And have, uh, uh, no, I six and four. They were six and four, and now they're six and 24. So um, I remember Steve Lavins last year at UCLA. Um, and I love Labs on a personal level, but they had just a horrific season. I mean, they were like nine and 20, and I'm counting the days to get rid of Lavin, right? Yeah. And they get into the conference tournament and they knock off number one Arizona. I was like, this guy's unbelievable. He's yeah. going to find yeah. a way to save his job. <laughs> now, they ended up losing the tournament. He did get fired. But that's, I mean, really, now these conference tournaments are, are just uh, as, as riveting as. Um, you know, when we get to the NCAA tournament, you know, for years and years and years, and this is going old school, there was only one conference that had a conference tournament. It was the ACC. The ACC tournament began in the 1950s. No other conference had a conference tournament for years, decades. And the uh, the amazing thing about this ACC tournament was only the winner of the ACC tournament would advance into the NCAA tournament. Those are the days when no second place teams or third place, none of that happened. You wanted to get into the NCAA tournament, you had to win the ACC tournament. I was amazed for years that why don't more conferences do this? It's a bit of a crapshoot because it doesn't guarantee that the team that had the best regular season record is going to make the tournament. But hey, prove it in a tournament. Uh, and the really, the ACC tournament, the success of that tournament is what finally said to the NCAA, you know what, we need to expand our tournament. Well, and, if we bring and, in some more schools, we're going to create more excitement. And, and frankly, now we have the monstrosity we have now. We have uh, in in sport the only the only system that truly mimics what a meritocracy should mm-hmm, look like. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still arguments over who's the seventy or excuse me, like the, who's the sixty ninth team and who's the sixty eighth. That's going to happen every single year, but. I mean, when you think about the vast number of teams that get in and then allowing it to play out the way that they do in college basketball, I I can't wait because it is. It's the best opportunity to see equitably who's the best. No question about that. Oh, we'd like to see the equal in college football. Probably won't in any time soon. Keep it right here. Much more coming up on Fox Sports Sunday. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Well, continuing another big day in the world of sports, this is Fox Sports Sunday. Hartman and Ornberger with you from the Fox Sports Radio Studios. So a week from today, we're going to have March Madness underway. That's right. We're going to have Selection Sunday next Sunday. Get our brackets in hand, and we'll be all set for three weeks of absolute bliss with the NCAA basketball tournament. No slight on the ladies as well. They're going to have their tournament, so we're going to have a lot of college hoops coming up over the next few weeks, which is a really good thing. NFL's always in the news. Combine will come and go. We're coming up on free agency, so the NFL has a continuous cycle out there, and we're inching ever so close to the NBA playoffs. So we're getting to that point. I know even golf fans got the Players' Championship coming up, and then we're going to have the Masters. So there's a lot of exciting things happening in the world of sports. But right now, the one sport holding things up is Major League Baseball. Rich, I want to get back to some of the basics of flaws in how baseball is structured to account to where we find ourselves right now with this impasse between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. The problem with Major League Baseball is this. You have people owning teams in charge. 
And here's here's something that I would think would be a prerequisite. Now, the NFL is a little bit different because of the equal money distributed amongst NFL teams in terms of the network television contracts, which, by the way, that number always seems to coincide with the cap. It sort of sets the bar. There's a certain level there. Um, and then teams, you know, based on how they draft or conduct business, either win or lose. But in Major League Baseball, it's almost like if you have certain owners in place, it's an incentive to lose. Because there's no minimum bar in how you set your payroll. We had three Major League Baseball teams under $30 million in payroll a year ago. All of them had losing records, by the way. Mm-hmm. There's no incentive to win. So really, it's up to ownership. Now, in San Diego, where we reside Monday through Friday with our show, they had an owner that jumped in named Peter Seidler. And he has an interesting background because he's of the O'Malley family. His mother is Peter O'Malley's sister. And when the O'Malley family sold off the Dodgers, they actually tried to reacquire the Dodgers, but they got outbid and then set them sights, uh, sights set on the San Diego Padres. And Peter Seiler comes from the O'Malley family, where they're used to winning. And he comes to San Diego, and they're just floundering. They're not doing anything. So he did something that no one saw coming, because there are, there's always a perception that there are big market teams and small market teams. Big market teams have big money. Small market teams have small money. And he jumped the shark. He, he said, no, no, no. We have money, and we're going to spend it. And last year, the San Diego Padres had the fourth highest payroll in all of Major League Baseball. It sent shockwaves around baseball. What? We thought you were a small market team. You don't have any money. Oh, no, we have money. But these other teams, they just choose not to spend the money. Right. So when you have a system that incentivizes owners, they really don't give a crap about winning or losing. They just want to make money. You put them in a position to do that. Cut payroll to bare minimum. Reap all the benefits of all the revenue coming in, regardless if you have a winning product or not. That's the biggest change that has to happen. If baseball is going to move forward, somehow they got to create not the people that are spending money at the top. You're focusing on the wrong people. You need to focus on those owners that are hell-bent on just making a buck and not actually putting money into the organization. You can't have a sustainable system where a business is allowed to make decisions that are against the greater good of the overall company, you know, the overall organization and still have success. I mean, if you think about it, like if you're, I don't know, McDonald's or your Burger King or your Carl's Jr. or your whatever, right? Your major fast food corporation and you have franchises scattered all throughout the United States and there are, you have a system in place where there's profit sharing. That means that some of these individual franchisees, some of these, you know, uh, business owners who are under your corporate umbrella aren't going to work as hard for their customers as others, you know, and, and maybe they'll say, well, we're a McDonald's in Des Moines, Iowa. What do you expect? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how this works. That shouldn't be how this works. Just because you're in Des Moines, does that mean people 
don't want quality service or hamburgers or chicken, you know, sandwiches. No, I mean, either either a find um, a place, a city, a a ownership group that's going to work hard for the constituency, for the people that they're trying to lure in to the business or or get out of the business altogether. You know, it, it, it's 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 infuriating to your point. And this this is it just wouldn't work in an, in any other business or industry. But in Major League Baseball, you have legitimately for decades teams who will coast on their laurels, who will be abysmal baseball teams, who will cut payroll and cut their scouting department and cut their international counting, uh, scouting department and will cut their minor leagues so that they can turn bigger profits because they know that the profit sharing is going to keep them afloat, not the winning. It's a bad business model and it creates apathy amongst your interested fans. And, and Steve, you know, you're part of a generation that grew up when baseball was truly in its heyday. I'm not. And I'm telling you right now, I'm a baseball fan, but I'm I'm a minority in my age demographic. And I'm 30. I'm 30 years I'm th- well, I'm not 30. I'm 36 years old. I'm 36 years old and and it's it's hard to find other 36-year-old baseball fans. You know, so if they don't start getting this really really right, we're going to over time and it's going to happen slowly. It's been a slow descent, but we're going to continue seeing a spiral in the interest in baseball altogether. There's also problems in the system. And you hear the players talking about reducing the number of years before you have arbitration. But, you know, one of the other problems with Major League Baseball is how they hold back players to manipulate service time. Right. And I'll give you an example. And I saw this cited in an article. I was thinking the same thing. In the 2019 baseball draft, the number one pick in the draft, overall number one pick in the draft, was a catcher out of Oregon State. Oregon State's had some outstanding teams named Adley Rushman. The Baltimore Orioles took him with the number one pick in the draft. This guy hit over 400 his last two years at Oregon State. And in the minor leagues, he has continued to do great. The Orioles are terrible. Adley Rushman is better than any player they have on the major league roster. He hasn't played a major league game yet. Not yet. Why? He's 24 years old. He still hasn't played a major league game because they're trying to hold him back on his service time. I mean, this is this is insane. This guy was the number one overall pick in the draft. But yep. they're trying to manipulate that service time, and they're holding him back. Remember the Cubs did this with Chris Bryant. Other teams did it. San Diego did not do that with Fernando. Fernando Tatis Jr. They put him into their opening day lineup, even though they could have held him out for another month or so to reduce his service time. But this is another part of the system that allows teams like the Orioles – who used to be a proud franchise, by the way, that completely have hit the skids. But this is the manipulation of a system that is put in place where if you want to hold back on money, and that's the thing about a guy like Adley Rushman. Let me give you if he becomes an all-star catcher, you're not going to be on the hook for another five years before you have to give him a big payday. Let me give you a fix. And and again, this is like this is we're talking about like eliminating the shift will help the major league game. Yeah. We're talking about widening the bases on the base path that could help the game. We're talking about you know the, like a pitch clock for pitchers that could help the game. You want to help the game of baseball? Eliminate major league uh, baseball's ability to co-own minor league baseball affiliates. 
Eliminate the, the, the coordinated attack on the youth of this game. You know, if you want to make Major League Baseball uh, draft day, like the NFL experience on draft day, where fans are lining up to see if their fortunes are going to change with the number one overall pick, like Browns fans have every year, like Jacksonville Jaguars fans are now, where where for one day and maybe one day only in the next couple of years, you get to be the toast of the town because you get Trevor Lawrence or you get Joe Burrow, who, by the way, brought the Cincinnati Bengals to the, 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 the last possible stop before actually winning the trophy. I, I mean, if you want to make Major League Baseball's draft day like the NFL's, completely disallow Major League Baseball owners to own minor league baseball teams. Make it a completely separate league. Make it so that major league owners and front office people need to make room on their active rosters for draft picks. And people will say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't take a kid out of high school and put him in major league baseball. Why the hell not? If the rest of the other 29 teams have to do it, why can't I, Team X, put put the first round draft pick out of high school into the league right now? What, is he going to get hurt? No. It's, it's pitchers and hitters. It's the same thing happening at the high school level as it is at the college level, as it is at the professional level. Now, don't get me wrong. The talent at the professional level is absurd. But are you telling me there isn't one single ball player out of high school who can come into the major leagues today and, have, and be a smashing success? I have my doubts. I have my sincere doubts. I think this is a way for Major League Baseball to hold players under their thumb for years and years and years, like you said, Steve, staving off arbitration time, and it's behind the guise that these players aren't talented enough mm. to play at the Major League level. It's baloney. We all we all have fallen for it for way too long, and it needs to change. Players threw out a proposal today that got a collective yawn from the owners. Think about this. Right. When we talk about Vegas odds and we, you know, we do this in every sport and you're like, how do they know? Right. I mean, they put out numbers and it's like, man, they are, they are on top of it. They're really smart people in Vegas. When Vegas puts out odds on what month the major league baseball season is going to start and April is plus 550 and May is plus 175. I mean, think about it. If you go plus one five fifty, and the and the season starts April thirtieth, you win. Mm-hmm. Why is there such a dramatic shift from April to May? What do they know? Well, they know a lot. It seems to me like all of this is pure theater right now. Major League Baseball has already made up their mind on when they're going to start. Players are not going to be paid for that month. They have a shortened season. And they're not worried about it because you know what they're counting on, folks? You're going to show up regardless. They're not worried about it. And you mentioned the TV contracts are only obligated for a certain number of games. They've got the every everything figured out here. So all of this is pure theater. We're going to have Major League Baseball in 2022. I promise you that. But not until May. Bet the bank. Bet the bank on that. All right, coming up, let's get back to the NFL. Because the NFL, well... You can never fail with the NFL. The scouting combine is concluding right now. And could there be changes in terms of how we measure the level of ability to perform at the highest level in the NFL? Are we learning anything from all these years at the combine? We'll give us our thoughts coming up next. 
Butt Rock O'Clock. Butt Rock. What just happened there, Sam? <laughs> After a long hiatus, Butt Rock O'Clock is back. Wow. On Hartman and Ornberger. How Fox about Sports that? Radio. Wow. Hello. I like yeah. that. Got to yeah. do it. Is this Buck Cherry? This is Close. Hinder. 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 Wow. Get, get stoned by Hinder. Stoned by Hinder. That's right. Welcome wow. back, Butt Rock. Yeah. Wow. Uh, welcome back, Fox Sports Sunday, Harbin and Orenberger. Brought to you by one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas. Your home for live sports. That means all sports, every game match, race, and competition. It is always on. Now go on, plan your trip to at visitlasvegas.com to see the best and brightest in Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. By the way, uh, I was doing a uh, TV spot on Shashevsky's last game last night. So we looked it up. When he coached his first game at Duke in 1980, after five seasons at the Military Academy, price of gas was a buck 39 a gallon. Buck 39. Buck sure. 39. Sure. Uh, the other day, I went in to get gas here in uh, the Los Angeles area. How about 539 a gallon? Wow. 5.39 for regular. Okay. I mean, I hear these national oh. averages. National average is like 3.80 now. Like 3.80. We haven't seen that in California in a long time. 5.39 a gallon. Oh. Oh. That is insanity. Mm. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. So I'm watching the combines, right? <laughs> yeah. As I do every year. And look, I, I enjoy watching big guys run the 40. I like watching fast guys run the 40. Sure. Um, some of the agility drills, yeah, I can I can see it, you know, change of direction and see these big guys moving in different and it, some of this makes sense. I'm not ter- I'm not too sure about how high you can jump or the standing broad jump, which I know you excel at. But here's one thing I've never understood about the combine. Cuz a lot of times you hear this. Why is it that what we are seeing at the combine is not translating to the field. And of course, the first thought that comes to my mind is because they're not wearing uniforms during the combine. You're not in shorts on the field. Right. I have never understood because one of the things I've always marveled at with football players is all the equipment you have on. Like if you're a wide receiver, right? And the ball's being thrown at you, and you got this helmet on your head. And it's rattling around. You got your pads on, everything, everything's sort of rattling around. And yet somehow you maintain your focus, you maintain your sight, your ability to, you know, focus on the football and catch the football. Yeah, you got those gloves, they help. But I've always wondered if you're trying to evaluate what a guy can do on the football field, then why wouldn't you conduct the combine? With everybody in full uniform, helmet, pads, everything else, to see what they actually do when they're in a football uniform. Wouldn't that be a better gauge of how that would translate to what they're going to do on the field? Oh, yeah, of course. I I mean, even every aspect of the NFL Combine is just for show with the very exception of the interview process where coaches and scouts will have whatever it is, 15 or 20 minutes a piece to line up 
the prospects to come into their hotel suite and in the case of the Philadelphia Eagles have them shoot some hoops on a Fisher Price basket or you know in as we will hear on the other side of this combine interview process the ridiculously natured questions sometimes uh, volleyed toward these players that's really the most significant thing you can get accomplished at the combine other than that I mean what you're doing is you're just watching guys go through an obstacle course basically like I mean the if you had the combine athletes do American Ninja Warrior uh, uh, obstacles as opposed to running the 40 and vertical and broad jump and you know the three cone drill I mean you would probably ascertain just about as much it, it's just look the better athletes are going to shine during this will the better football players shine no because football isn't about running 40 yards in a straight line football isn't about catching footballs without your pads on or your helmet on or without a defender in your face or throwing a football you know without taking a snap from under center with 10 other guys in front of you and a defense, uh, you know, uh, throwing different things at you. It's look, it's all useless from an evaluation standpoint. The only thing the combine is good for is a marketing tool for the NFL. We're sitting here on a national radio show talking about football. We're talking about NFL football. We're getting excited because Jordan Davis ran a 4'8 at 341 pounds. We're getting excited because an unknown corner named Wolin out of UTSA just ran a 4'31, uh, and he's 6'4", two, 205 pounds. Like, you know, we're going to pretend like the film that these scouts have isn't going to supersede all the things that we saw in Indianapolis this week. Trust me, it won't. Every time I watch the Combine, I'm reminded of a show that, a little before your time, but it was a show that was on ABC for 12 years. That's a good run for any show. 19 installments of it. The show was called Battle of the Network Stars. It was a great show. Howard Cosell was the host. And you had these stars from each of the three networks at the time. Fox was not a power yet, ABC, CBS, and NBC. So they would have stars of their shows, and they would all gather at Pepperdine University, beautiful backdrop at Pepperdine, and they would engage in these competitions, sports competitions. They would have swimming, uh, you know, and you'd see some of the uh, hot ladies in, in swimsuits and everything. This is what I think of when every time I watch the Combine. Because I'm like, what does this have to do with football? What what am I looking at here? I mean, it's entertaining. I like to see again a guy like you know uh, Jordan Davis, 341 pounds, six foot six and a half, run that four seven eight forty. But I, is there anything you would do? And we're up against it because we're going to get to Gascon in a second. But uh, I want I want to give any thoughts about if you were to do a reboot on the NFL Combine, having understood this process what changes would you make but first let's find out what's trending right now david gascon is back uh, do you remember battle of the network stars at all no yeah i remember hollywood squares no 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 battle of the network stars was really a phenomenal show cosell cosell hosted it every year and he would have, like, stars of TV shows back when, you know, network TV dominated, ABC, CBS, and NBC. It was entertaining. And you got to see some of the, uh, you know, really hot ladies on TV. And 
you know, swimming and everything else. It was phenomenal. That reminds me, I was um, I was out a couple nights ago ah. here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And in the middle of this evening, topic of conversation, love is blind. Love yeah. is blind, uh, yes. Yeah. I'm surrounded by all of it. I just watched the uh, reunion episode last night. Oh, boy. Did you? I mi- I haven't seen it yet. Don't say anything. Fireworks, the entire, That's all I'm going to have to say. I would imagine. Shake. The shake, uh, the shake uh, cause some uh, fireworks. You guys wanna, <laughs> oh. Do you guys want a room yeah. together? Yeah, I know. I mean, some hot chocolate, marshmallows. Yeah, can I, can I tell you how this too? happened, Gascon? First of all, I would never have watched this show in a million years. <laughs> but I got pressure from Rich and Fletch, our producer in San Diego, it was like a homework assignment. That's what the, how they termed it. You need to watch this show. And then, like anything else, you know, you get hooked, right? And then you, once you start, you got to finish it. So Now, the question is, does a woman's voice resonate with you? Like, if, it, if she's got a sweet sound, does that oh, yeah. trump um, specific looks and features? Haven't you, haven't you ever heard a female voice, like, on the radio oh, that yeah. just sort of... There, there is one I won't mention who it is, Why but not? there is such a don't voice. Don't be shy. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I go for it. Well, I don't I, ask I can't, Steve I can't Hartman anything. I, I know. <laughs> I, I can't think of her name right now. Oh, nice but, I, but I do. I will tell you. But there is one woman, and she's I know, in radio. I know who it is. I guarantee I know who it is. Who is it? Dr. Ruth. Not Dr. Ruth. Okay. No, she did nothing Dr. for me. Dr. Ruth. <laughs> she, she actually sounded like, you know, she was. Uh, no, there, there, every once in a while, I'll hear, hear a female voice that... I, I got to lock in just because of the voice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. sweet, sweet sound. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of sweet, how about this today for Jason Tate? I mean, he had 54 points for the Boston Celtics, and they beat the Brooklyn Nets 126 to 120. Suns and Bucks from Milwaukee, 51 41. Phoenix has the advantage there. There's only two games as it stands right now. College basketball scene. Weren't you, Steve, weren't you talking about Lila Chicago getting blown out earlier? Well, no, wait, here's, here is the story. So, again. Oh um, worse than Iowa Sam now. First of all, Iowa Sam Sucks. jumped the gun and said that Loyola Chicago, because I was mentioning uh, Sister Jean, who's now 102 years yes, old, that she was excited of the start of the Missouri Valley Conference tournament, yeah. and he jumped in and said, no, Loyola already won it. I was just calling my shot, yeah, and, and, and I did. I called and, my shot. And then I looked up, and the, and the conference saying. championship game had just started, <laughs> and Drake was up 13-3, to three, yeah. and I'm like, great call. Uh, and Loyola, how, how did it turn out? Yeah, they won. There it is. They're in. They beat uh, Drake. They're now in the NCAA oh, tournament. All right. For, that's good, Sister Jean. You made the tournament. Yeah. How about it? Yeah, wow. she'll be back on the sidelines. Yeah, she'll be showcased for at least <laughs> yeah one round. Uh, so, yeah, 64-68 was the final score there. Uh, Maryland and Michigan Michigan about to get things underway. Michigan State, that is. Michigan did win earlier today. They beat Ohio State. Also, Iowa tonight against Illinois. The game's on FS1. It'll start in about three hours from now. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's it. Bye. That's Busy it. day. Busy day, even though we're still waiting on a few things. We're waiting for Major League Baseball. Yeah, well, I, I'm I again, I, I May, May first. I, I, I'm, I'm going to bet the bank on May. May, There's, May, May. There's not going to be oh. any Major League Baseball in the month of April. Hey, well, you do remember though, at the at the beginning of the pandemic, or not during the beginning, but like midway through, mm-hmm. we'd see overnight baseball games in Korea. 
We get the oh, bat flips. I did not watch that crap. <laughs> Why not? With that no. crap? It was cool. Hold your tongue, sir. Whoa. What's wrong with no, you? No, no. You're a menace Garbage. to society. I, I, I'm an elitist. I'm sorry. Okay, li- where did Shohei Otani come up. from? Yeah. yeah. Jerk. Yeah, okay. One <laughs> guy. One guy. Otani. Yeah. What about him? Otani. Again, yeah. I'm ashamed. This is the Major sort of League Baseball I period. Deal with. Yeah, I don't watch that six other days stuff. a week. I have. We, to, we I mean, didn't have sports good. for yeah. like nine months. Look at, I've already exposed myself to Love Is Blind. I don't need any more torture. So and there yeah. we go. You're tasting <sighs> sports. Blind. All right, uh, I, I, I want to do a reboot on the uh, NFL Combine. Let's let's scrap it. Start all over again. All right. Because it does get a little repetitive. You know, we complain about, like, the uh, NBA All-Star Weekend, same old tired dunk contest, skills competition. I I need something more. Now, they're trying to sell this idea that more and more people will go out and spend big money to actually eyewitness. So imagine if the Combine were to come to SoFi Stadium, which is not hard to believe. I'm sure they'll try to go after it. And they're asking me to pay big money to be there for seven hours on a Thursday or six hours. I mean, come on. Is there anything, are there any new spins you could come up with, Rich, that might make it different, a little more entertaining, and actually have some value for those talent evaluators? Yeah, I mean... In general, I think that the NFL Combine, if you had more of an effort to make to simulate football, uh, it could be ah, a more useful grading I tool. Th- how about the Oklahoma drill? <laughs> <laughs> now, let, let, how about if you brought the Oklahoma drill to the NFL Combine? How would that work out? That would that would not work. No. That- <laughs> The Oklahoma no. drill where you have two guys. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's so many variations, but basically having a live running back, linebacker tackling drill with yes. a crowd of people around yeah. them, that, that yeah. doesn't sound like the right angle. I mean, like I'm watching right now. I just, I mean, I just uh, typed in Oklahoma drill and I'm like, I'm watching one from the University of Oklahoma, ironically. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to see. Let me give you one. Um, right. You know, if you had... Even if even if there was like a little bit of an agreement that you weren't going to try to have you were going to try to have as little contact as possible. But I mean, basically had seven on sevens where you could see cornerbacks actually working against wide receivers or safeties and linebackers covering running backs and tight ends. And I mean, you could have a little bit of work done that is, you know, potentially I mean, you're talking about some of the best of the best players on the planet coming together for a week. You know, I mean, you could you could find a way. I mean, if you don't know what a cover two shell is supposed to look like or, you know, you know, a a cover one shell is supposed to look like as a defender, you probably don't belong at the NFL combine. And, you know, with very preliminary route concepts, you could you could find out a little bit more about these guys and not have to put on pads or equipment and increase the physicality of it. I mean, I don't know. Those are, those are some ideas in general, though. I I think if you replace the combine with, with just extending the all-star game circuit, you know what I mean? Like, I like the fact that the senior bowl has been sort of the consummate, um, postseason all-star game the shrine bowl uh the nfl pa has uh, you know expanded its um 
it, the, 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 the NFL PA game, I forget what they call it, but that's another all-star game that's sort of taken over for, you know, the past iterations of the third place bowl, like whatever it was, the Texas first, the nation game or whatever. Um, even HBCU, uh, uh, historically black colleges and universities have their own all-star game. I think that is a more useful rubric or, or uh, criteria to judge players than anything done at the Combine in its current form. Hiring, heating up. Indeed's hiring platform makes it easy to track, screen, and interview candidates all in one place. Sponsor a post and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates on Indeed whose resumes match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. I, I guess my frustration is always the idea that if you are paid to evaluate talent – to find the so-called diamond in the rough, to recognize someone's aptitude to actually play the game of football. All of this is providing crutches for you to make mistakes. It's easy to say, well, I mean, I, I always go back to John Ross, right? John Ross, 2017, ran still the fastest 40 ever at the Combine, 4.22 catapulted him all the way to the number nine overall pick by the Cincinnati Bengals. If you didn't see him in the Super Bowl, that's because he doesn't play for the Bengals anymore. He's caught a total of, I believe, 56 passes in five seasons. And those that went back will say, well, the guy ran 4-2-2. Okay, but that's, that's not exactly what you're paid to do. What you're paid to do is evaluate whether the guy has the ability, has the aptitude to perform at a high level in the NFL. Injuries are, you can't, can't account for an injury, right? Injuries can happen. But we're talking about, does he have what it takes? Yeah. Not just physically, but mentally. Does he have the makeup to play in the National Football League? This is where the great talent evaluators separate themselves from the pack. Anybody else, I can stand there with a stopwatch. I can see that. I can, you know, that's that's not what we're talking about. It's not about agility. It's about can you play the game of football? Do you have the instincts to play the game of football? Yeah. And there's been a lot of great college players that were downgraded that end up, I always go back to Luke Keekley. You know, he was downgraded somewhat, right, coming into the draft because he didn't hit all the measurements. The guy was a tackling machine in college, yeah. and then he was a tackling machine in the NFL. Yeah, he was one. Of, he was an all-pro how many Zach times? Zach Thomas uh, was yep. another guy like that, dropped all the way to the fourth round when he was a two-time unanimous. Mike Singletary at Baylor was a tackling machine. Five foot eleven. he can't play in the NFL. Hall of Fame. Yeah, so, but I mean, even even guys who are like, yeah, like for example, Jarvis Landry. Yeah, I mean, not considered like, I don't know, the the greatest receiver of his era mm -hmm. in his recruiting class, or should say, recruiting class in his draft class. No other receiver has had more receptions over the course of the their career than Jarvis Landry. Yeah. And and he had a terrible combine. And I remember when when Juice Landry was being considered, um, he like like it, he fell down draft boards. And you know, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like, it, it it's just such a poor. I mean, you know what? Honestly, have these guys come out and and juggle or show us their secret talent? Can any of these guys sing? Like you know, I mean, if we're just gonna do something that's basically 
a talent contest anyways that has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to be great or average or poor or superb NFL players? Can't we do something interesting? I just mentioned, you know, doing the uh, American Ninja Warrior uh, uh, obstacle courses. Let's do that instead. I'm not kidding. You know, find a way to not get these guys injured. And if it's going to be used as a marketing tool anyways for the for the NFL and really the only – um, the only real uh, ability to to uh, to to delineate whether or not these guys have the goods is in the interview rooms. You could you could have them. You could still go through the medical and the interview process. You just change what happens on the field. Let's see if any of these guys can play the violin. I mean, I'm not kidding. Make it a talent contest. It would be more useful for everybody than what we're watching because I get it. When you see somebody at 341 pounds like Jordan Davis run a 304, run a 3.840 yard dash, it is astounding. But for the most part, the combine is somewhat boring outside of the viral moments. Yeah, let's I'm, be honest. I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I watch highlights. You know, like I said, the Jordan Davis thing was a highlight. Uh, but outside of that, no, I can't. I can't see it. All right, on the other side, where are we going to be a week from now? We're going to look into our crystal ball. What changes in the sports world are going to happen over the next week? We're going to tell you coming up next. Butt rock. Butt rock. Butt rock o'clock. A little obsessed, aren't we? Iowa Sam, a little bit obsessed. Fox Sports Sunday, Harbin and Orenberger. Who is this, Chevelle? Three days grace. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna. I, I good, thought it might have been Jimmy Chevelle. Jimmy Eats World. <laughs> we don't put Jimmy in the butt. <laughs> they rock will not category. be appearing in the butt rock hour. Okay, that's fair. Is there anything you would not play, Sam? Like it's like oh, a lot of stuff. I mean, it, butt rock has a sound to it. It's a, it's a genre. Yeah, I understand that. There are a couple songs that are like break glass if needed butt rock songs. Maybe they'll come out, maybe they won't. A little right. controversial. Mm. Yeah, this and is definitely well within the wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know that uh, with uh, a variety of people I've worked with over the years here, and that's just about everybody in the building and those that are no longer in the building, um, since I have no musical taste of no. Yes, you do. Well, I. I you I, like Knight Rider. Good point. <laughs> Solid I love point. Knight Rider's great. Night Ranger. Night Ranger. <laughs> Night Rider is a TV yeah, show. Yeah, with the talking car. Great yeah, sorry. theme. Night Look at Ranger. Really solid theme. That's just so, a microcosm of me today. That's, just that's off it. My I game mean, completely bit. out of left. Night, yeah. Night Ranger. Night Ranger. Night Ranger. Night Rider was the Night David Hasselhoff show. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, talking so. car. <laughs> I guess that's why you're not playing any Night Rider or Night Ranger because you don't even know who it is. I'll play some Night Ranger yeah, at another juncture. A, yeah. Um, well, we want to thank the crew today. Iowa Sam, by the way, are you Ooh. watching your Iowa women I am. right now in the Big Ten championship game? Yeah, they have the lead at halftime. They could win both the regular season title mm-hmm. and the conference tournament title. Go Hawkeyes. Be pretty cool. Go yeah, Hawkeyes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, David Gascon, who has no interest in Iowa sports. Not, not no interest in the state of Iowa. Seems to talk about them a lot, though. Uh, I think they live rent-free in your head, Dave. No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Shaq's birthday today. Happy 50th to the Big Diesel. It's a big 5-0 for Shaq. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Shaq Diesel. Story of my life, buddy. By the way, uh, did you know that Kawhi Leonard and Shaq have the same size hands? I believe that. 
Yeah. So they call them the claw. Uh, but you know what's bigger hands than both of them? The, so they clock in they they clock in at over eleven inches in their hand. I'm gonna say me, I'm gonna say Megatron. I'm gonna say Tony nope. Robbins. Oh well, he's a big man. Uh, no, uh, Giannis. <laughs> oh, Giannis. Oh, Giannis's hands, uh, twelve inch spread on the hands. Man. Wow, twelve Jeez. inches. Golly. I don't care what the sport is. Having a dinner plate. That's a wall clock. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) talk about palming a basketball. I mean, with him. I mean, Dr. J had huge hands. Yeah. Uh, One of the legends way back in the day, Connie Hawkins. Guys that really can take it. You know, when you you can control the ball like that, like the claw, Kawhi Leonard, how how much of it? It's a huge advantage. Now, the problem for Shaq, of course, was shooting free throws. That was always his excuse, is that his hands were too big to shoot free throws. Yeah. You know, you're trying to sort of cradle the ball in those big hands. I'm not going to forget Ryan. Oh, no. No, Bershinger. No, no, no. Very hungover today. Yeah. yeah he, he doesn't had, look he had, good. He had no. a long, long night. Banged little, up. He didn't little, go to sleep last yeah, night. Little yeah. green well, around I mean, the expectations are coming. You know, Baby-making. Gavin got married, and, you know, Iowa yeah. Sam suddenly has thoughts of that someday. And I call this Ryan's morning Ryan's knocking sickness. on the door. <laughs> That's not bad. That's a pretty Ryan, good. That Ryan is was uh, very, very good. Ryan know. is with child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as far as where we're going to be a week from now, of course, we're going to have a much clearer picture. We're going to be counting down literally the seconds. Uh, our show will conclude one hour before the selection of the field of 68. So, the, you know, this is the thing about these conference tournaments, Rich, is the fact that you have game, 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 game. You know, one, two, three consecutive nights. We all go back to the amazing run that UConn had in 2011 where they had in the Big East, they had five games in five nights. Five consecutive nights they played, winning the conference tournament, and then somehow having enough gas left to win the NCAA championship. Yeah. Uh, It can happen, man. It can happen. I love this sport for that reason, Mm -hmm. college basketball. It uh, every single March, there's an unlikely storyline that captivates the sports world, oh, and yeah. I cannot wait to hear what it is this time. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have that. We, we're definitely going to find out uh, this week. Who knows? Maybe a, a surprise. Maybe it's the team. Hawkeyes. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wisconsin lost today. Does that have any bearing on the Big Ten tournament? Iowa Sam, is he listening to me? He's not even yeah, listening to me. I think they yeah. share the title if we if Illinois wins. All right, all right. So okay, we're going to get fair. a lot of movement there. Uh, do not expect any news from the world of baseball. No, that's going to come. Uh, keep it right here. Much more coming up on Fox Sports Radio.